It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. You know, the question I have this morning is a simple one. Have the Western Bulldogs blown it again? Will this be another year where the top four hopes aren't realised? On a dewy night at the SCG, did the double chance once again slip through the fingers of Luke Beveridge and his boys? They'll play finals, the Bulldogs, barring a complete disaster from here. But that's the bare minimum, isn't it? Theirs is a list and an assembly of talent that demands more. Or does it? Another run of goals against... Another example for those who argue the dog's back six lacks influences, interceptors and game changers. Gee, the Liam Jones injury has been savage for them. But as good as he was on his return to the club pre-injury, he will be 33 before next season. The loss of the talls, James O'Donnell, Sam Darcy hurt last night against Sydney, but the dogs still did enough to win this game. And the reason they didn't, I imagine, this morning would again haunt you Western Bulldogs supporters. This is the captain's run. It's for state transport. Our people are your solution. Sam Edmund with you up until midday. We are stacked today. And I'll get through our McCafe menu shortly. But Western Bulldogs supporters, this morning, your side smashed Sydney at the source. Again, the Swans were beaten up around the ball. So the Dogs win clearance by 18. 18. Centre clearance, they basically doubled Sydney, 15-8. They won contest by 21. They had 43 more uncontested possessions as well. Seven more inside 50s. Yet after a five-goal opening quarter, like the Swans, you go on to kick only 11 goals. So what's broken here? I mean, David King would say, and I think I heard him say it again this morning, that they're not quite tough enough. And maybe he's right. Now, you can't say the dogs are soft with those stoppage numbers. Libba, the brilliant Bont, they were huge. McRae, Trelaw keep buttering up. Tim English and the Ruck does it better than just about anyone. They dig in there and they roll the sleeves up. But the tackle count was 90-62. And tackles inside 50 was more telling in Sydney's favour. The Swans led this 22-9. So they have 13 more tackles inside their forward arc, the Swans, despite actually getting the pill inside there seven fewer times. So do the dogs roll the sleeves up for the fight without the ball to match the talent and class they have with it? And on this evidence, you'd probably say no. And Essendon lies in wait next Friday night. Crikey, that is a big game. Sydney's win, though, has breathed new life into its season. They were overrun in the last quarter at the G by Richmond last week. Uh, the week before, they drew with Geelong the week prior and obviously belted West Coast the week prior to that. So recent form stacks up relatively well at Sydney. Errol Goulden was bear-hugged and lifted into the air by John Longmire after the final siren, which shows you how his 30 possessions, seven tackles and 770-odd metres gained were viewed internally. And a great, if not slightly awkward moment at the end when John Longmire rejected any suggestion of a chair-off after his 300th game as coach. He's been unbelievably good for that club in that city and in that market. They've almost always been competitive, Sydney, under his tutelage. And back out on the field, Tom Batley's 27th birthday, accompanied by a four-goal performance that had him back to his fire-starting best. Sydney looking all right again. And what to make of the Western Bulldogs? Waitman handball to Liberatore. Onto the left side is the map, and it's a quick-fire goal to the Dogs. 
Tom Liberatore with the first. This is his fifth match this year, Vandermeer, and it'll be his first goal of the year. Straight through the middle. English got it away to Dale. It turned over in the pack and Robottom. Close in. Snaffles the goal. Amati pulled it clear to Parker, to Mills, to Papley, who can have a ping from 45 and drive it home. He's looking for Jamara on the lead. Bontempelli plays Rover. Out onto the left boot. Curls it at the goal front. All class from the Bonks. Franklin has caught at the Ooh. back of Marty. Back with the flight of the ball. Spilt to Heaney, who just then crafts one round the body and kicks a goal. To ground it goes. Garcia handball. Scott handball. West back to Scott. Round the body on the left. Now that is a team lifting goal. Dogs back in front. The crummers are there. Wicks onto it. Brings it into Franklin. Bought the first hand pass. Gave the second. And Papley levels the scores. Six minutes to go in the final term. It's as straight as a die. And the dogs are back in front. Off the boot of Jamara Eugle Hagen. Heaney's on the burst at half forward. Gives them a look deep. He's after Papley. Bounced in the square. Papley's got it again. Big Pappy's got four. Franklin lunged, couldn't mark. Florent has it. Time expires. The Swans sink the dogs. And the cost for Luke Beveridge's men could be severe when the final sums are done. Sydney by two points at the SCG in a Thursday night thriller. Sydney win a tight one. A story about the winner or the story about the loser. I suspect, obviously, a fair bit of both. Regardless, you can take us wherever you like. one 736 736 It's the open line number for EFS. They deliver simple freight solutions. And it's great to have your company on the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. I've actually got a trio of prizes today. Tad rare for the captain's run, it must be said. But what have we got here? We've got a Signet Boost Power Bank, a $100 Peter Jackson voucher, and a $50 Underworks voucher as well. You can take us wherever you like. It is a fascinating round 18 that we've got in store. And, gee, didn't the curtain get pulled back in entertaining fashion last night at the SCG? Off the text, Peter in Peakhurst. I suspected I'd hear from you, Peter, nice and early. Errol, you are an absolute star. You and others can talk about Dacos all they like, says Peter. But he is deserving of the accolades. But I'll take our boy Errol any day. What a swan. No, he's very, very good last night and had a magnificent season. And every one of his touches have some sort of influence, Peter. No doubt about that. Uh, Lachlan is in height, though. He can open the batting for us. He wanted to talk about the Western Bulldogs this morning. G'day, Lockie. G'day, Sammy. Listen, Sammy, you say that we have to play finals. Like, it's a must and I rang Jared yesterday because he was like, oh, the dogs have to win. Yes, have to win. But I'll take you back to the Geelong game. We could not beat Geelong, who had their VFL midfield playing, and we were at full strength. And we still couldn't get the job done. It's the most confident I've ever gone to a game thinking we could beat Geelong, and we still couldn't do it. And, and Corn brought it up this morning. We're just not that great. We're, we're not good, mm. and we're not going to play finals. And we don't deserve to play finals, let's be honest, because we're going to be out straight away. So, so yeah. I'm really, I'm unhappy, I'm, I'm annoyed. Mm. I'm really annoyed. You know, I actually used the phrase this morning, it would be, you know, barring a disaster, you'll make the eight. I just think it's a given you'll get there, given the talent that you've got. But you're far from convinced by the sound of it, Lockie. No, I, I, at the start of the year, I went, I was really confident. Like, I, I was... <laughs> You know, and I was giving it to a few people because I thought, yeah, we've tried, we've we've done well, and I was thought we were going to do well, and I'm just really disappointed. What's the problem? And I'm I'm starting to think like I love Bevo, and he's done a great job, mm. 
But some of the moves last night, I and his moves this year have been weird. And I'm just thinking maybe it's time, you know, maybe, maybe he's under pressure, just like Longmuir at Freo. Because the Dogs and Freo are the two biggest disappointments, are they not? What's the main problem, do you think, Lachlan? Before we let you go, can you can you give us an example? We we are so like since Dunkley's left, we are so reliant on a, just either the Bont, English, or McRae, and when those or Libba, and when those guys are off, we have no one to replace them in the midfield. And obviously, in the back line, has been our biggest issue since Jones is gone. So there's just those areas where if if the midfielders go off. We, we have nothing, and that's where we get killed again. And obviously, Jones is gone, and mm. the halfback, we're just getting annihilated. So, it just need, and with our list, we, we just need to have a serious look at it. So, I'm just really frustrated. Last night really annoyed me. Yeah, yeah. No, Lockie, hey, stick around. I like a call without the rose colored glasses. A good, honest assessment of where you think your side is at. Stick around. I'll, I'll flick you the Signet Boost Power Bank. Uh, keep everything charged 24-7. Lockie, appreciate your call this morning. Oh, by the way, just before we get back to the open line, rest in peace Thursday night footy. Time slot's in the ground for another year in the home and away season, and it's a great shame. The stampede to have it every week's overwhelming. I'm a part of it, and the wait for it to happen goes on. Nevertheless, we've got a great weekend in store. It's a round 18 that promises a lot as we just head into ladder predictor season, don't we? Start to have a real close look at that. I think it's now a game and a half separating fifth from 13th, and there is a lot of Crossroads games ahead of us. Mark is in Sydney. He joins us on the EFS open line. Mark, about last night. Good morning, yes. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to say. First off, I want to send my best to Stuart Jew because I'm sure he's doing it tough for what's happened or whatever at Gold Coast. I know he used to be at the Swans. Um, I hope he actually makes his way back. So I just wanted to send him out uh, best regards, and hopefully he gets through this. Um, last night's game, um, Errol Goulden, fantastic game. Bonton Pally was amazing. Um, Bulldogs Ruckman, outstanding. They yep. were easily the three best players on the ground. I wanted to talk about the Swans midfield, and I want to know where do you think Dylan Stevens fits into that midfield? Is he about to become trade bait to get the big-bodied midfielder that the Swans need in that team? Well, to answer that question, Mark, I think recently he was out of contract and he was the target of, uh, or I guess the subject of a lot of speculation about whether he would stay or whether he would go. He was seen to be on the on the open market. He was in and out of the Swans side, I think, throughout 2021, the first half of 2022 as well. And he had a pretty consistent run of games through the back end of, of last season, obviously featured in, in the grand final. So that contract I spoke of, he, he put to pen to paper on 2021, Obviously, out at the end of the, this year as uh, as well, um, he had been. So, pick five just hasn't quite managed to go on with it, has he, Mark? So, um, to answer your question, I'm not sure if he's a is a player with uh, with the sort of currency that you would uh, that you would see to uh, command to bring a, a big name player back in the other way. Um, you need depth in the position, though, don't you? But the Sydney midfield, such a fascinating subject of conversation at the moment, Mark. It's certainly not the finished article, and they did miss Chad Warner last night um they rely on a few as well in there and it just hasn't quite gone to plan this year um but gee they dig in when they don't have the ball there's a lot of two-way runners in the sydney midfield and i just wonder if the dogs operate the same way but uh 
He's one to keep an eye on, Mark. No doubt about that. Dylan Stevens, a, a, a big raps on him as a junior coming through. Uh, Pat's in Brisbane. Pat, I want to get to the lines in a moment, but you've beaten me to it. Hey, Sammy, how are you, mate? I'm good. That's good. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, just wanted to um, send some love to the Lions. I always try to stay positive. Obviously, there's been a fair few disappointing matches at the MCG, but I'm really hopeful they can turn it around tonight. Um, we're playing good footy. I know the media writes us off, uh, but it's all in context. Like the squad that was there, say, eight, nine years ago when we were you know, getting beaten convincingly is changed considerably now. And I know that we've lost a lot with this squad, but I feel like tonight we're going to turn it around. And I just want to wish the boys the best moving into the finals. And yeah, go the Lions. Huge game, that one, Pat. Appreciate the call. You know, the dogs are outsiders with the bookies last night, which was justified, as it turns out. Gold Coast are favourite to beat St Kilda tomorrow night under a caretaker in Stephen King. Carlton sit 12th. But their favourites to beat a side sitting second that's won 13 in a row in Port Adelaide, even with the selection turbulence we witnessed last night, that is just crazy to ponder. Seven changes at Alberton, by the way. Seven. Speaking of selection, we've got the Brody Grundy non-selection, of course. is as big a call, I think, as you'll see on the magnet boards this year. Omitted was the word they chose as well after all the speculation and all the reporting. So credit, I think, to Melbourne for their transparency. But they do go into tonight's game against Pat's Brisbane Lions, still trying to figure out what their best team looks like. They want Grundy to spend more time forward. They want him to hone that side of his game in the VFL for what Alan Richardson, the football boss, said yesterday would be, quote-unquote, some time at the lower level. And the D's VFL team isn't even playing this week. So does that mean he's spending you know, several weeks out of the AFL side, Brody Grundy? Quite possibly. Big spend, big profile move, had a crack. Hasn't worked or hasn't worked yet. Is this a mistake from Melbourne? Would Grundy himself have grounds to be disappointed and disillusioned? Has he been let down again? Or is this as simple as just perform and selection looks after itself? Rory Lobb was dropped last night. Another player who made the move last year that was similarly questioned in terms of whether it was the right jigsaw puzzle piece for a club to bring in. Oh, and just before we get back to the open line, the one for this year, which I'm still just a bit intrigued about, Asava Radigalia managed by Geelong. Now, he was subbed out last week. He wanted to be traded last year, convinced to stay, deployed as a permanent defender. But with De Koning, Henry, Kolejasny, Stewart, does he fit down there long term? lot of selection intrigue last night. Fitting, really, given this is the most intriguing of rounds. And Pats Brisbane, well, they're still fielding questions about why they don't win at the MCG as often as their talent suggests that they should. Crows wouldn't want to tra- take GWS lightly with their finals chances on the block. They've been gritty, the Giants. The Crows have been hot and cold. Oh, gee, there's big stakes already in round 18. Adam, David, Nathan and Errol. Sit tight. We're going to get to you on the other side. We're going to go back to the open line for EFS and take all of your calls. Big McCafe menu ahead of us. I'll detail that shortly. Back after this. Some games just mean more, and, and this was one of those. Um, you know, we spoke about it during the week. Horses, you know, the longest-serving Swans coach. He's a father figure for a lot of us boys that, you know, our families are in Melbourne, and um, we really wanted to get it done for him tonight, and um, we're so lucky that he's our coach, and, um, yeah, we're very happy that we got the job done for him. That was the Lizard, Nick Blakey, last night on Fox Footy uh, off the back of Johnny Longmire's 300th game, a successful one in the end as coach of the Sydney Swans. i tell you, a stack coming through off the text, the 40 Wings temper text. As much love for Errol Goulden as there is some harsh assessments for the Western Bulldogs. I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit surprised 
by just how harsh some of them are. Errol Gordon was picked 32 back in 2021. What a steal. Well, that is true, but that's compromised or skewed slightly by the fact that he's been in the Sydney Academy since he was 11. And I think John Longmore went on to say last night he's got a watch vision of Errol Gordon playing soccer at the age of nine. So he's in the academy early, and he was part of the, the Sydney Swans camp from a long way out. As a dog supporter, I'd rather we didn't make finals, says Bruno, because that would hopefully force a change. The talent we have now is generational, and it's being wasted. Only one problem, Sam Beveridge. Time to move him on. List is too good. Jono from Ascot Vale. Too many shortcuts from the dogs. Bont, Libba, Norton expected every week to do the bulk of the work. That's from Brett. Dogs, such a disappointing team to support. Bevo just can't get the most out of this list. Think it's time for a new voice and new ideas. A lot of people of a similar mind. The top end is very, very good, and the bottom, it falls out. Adam is on the line, on the EFS open line. Adam, you want to talk to the Western Bulldogs? Far away. Yes. Yes, Sam. Um, look, I, I don't support the Western Bulldogs. I am coming from a, an area where I believe I'm, I'm not being biased and I'm not being emotional but what I see from the Western Bulldogs and what I have seen this year and the last year as well is that the barometer is obviously um, Pelly and he had a magnificent game last yeah, night. Yeah, it was huge. Outstanding and he tried to get his team over the line but he's not getting too many teammates going with him and uh, you know I think the Rory Lobb situation um, all the talk about it working and being important for the Bulldogs because they've got some height in the team again to support um, Norton up forward. And, and we've had the bizarre situation of Norton going back in defence this year. It's just completely, I think it's turned into a, a humongous train wreck. And I feel sorry, the frustration, if if you saw the Bont at the end of the game throw his mouth guard out and... He showed the frustration, yeah. I think, of many Bulldogs fans. And I'm not a Bulldog fan, but I can hear it on the telephone every week now. And I really believe there's so many players in that team that have promised a lot and not given very much over the last three or four years. Now, I want to just take, firstly, as, an, as a, a, a neutral supporter, I get would get so frustrated if I was watching the Bulldogs because Adam Trelaw gets so much of the ball but he does not hurt the opposition. Last night in that last quarter, he got the ball five times, and four of those times he kicked or handballed to the opposition. He also got caught once for holding the ball when he could have dished out a handball to a a teammate. He doesn't hurt you. He had 33 possessions. I would say, Sam, that probably 25 of those didn't hurt the, uh, the opposition, didn't hurt the Swans. Now, if you are going to play in the midfield or anywhere where the ball, uh, where you have to have a very important duty of providing an advantage for your teammates to actually get your ball into the forward line and hurt the opposition, you've got to make more use of it. He doesn't do it. I think, you talk about Rory Lobb not working, I think the Adam Trelaw situation, I'd like to ask the Bulldog supporters, have you been happy with Adam Trelaw's performance since joining the club has he been the person and the player that you've expected him to play I would suggest that if you got rid of and traded Adam Trelaw and worked on somebody like a tall defender or or another forward um, to help out 
Norton, because he is the one player that hurts you up forward line with the marking and the goal scoring. But I would suggest if you got rid of and drafted, sorry, if you traded Trelaw and got somebody more useful that's going to be able to be there for the next five, six years, that that would be a good decision. I don't think uh, trading Trelaw would hurt the dogs. I think you'd actually... All right, Adam, uh, you've put it out there for us. Thank you for doing so. Um, Errol, you're coming up next, okay? We've got to get to the news, but I know how much Jared Waitley loves talking to you and your eye for all things Western Bulldogs. I know he finds very, very interesting. So I'm looking forward to chatting to you, Errol. I hope you can hang on the line. We've got David there. We've got Nathan there as well. The McCafe menu today, we've got Nova Paris. So Jack Paris to make... His debut for St Kilda this weekend. What a great story that is. Nick Del Sano, AFL Nation's very own, is going to help us preview the remainder of round 18. Take a look back at last night as well. Chris Dubbs, all things Wimbledon. We're getting to the pointy end there now as well. And, hey, we've got New Zealand Sporting Royalty, All Blacks icon Richie McCaw to join us at 10.40. Looking forward to that. The dual World Cup winner amongst so many other of his uh, accolades. Andy Harper. What about tonight, the Matildas, the final, and the full dress rehearsal against France at Marvel, a complete and utter sellout. Andy will talk to us about that and how the scene is set for the FIFA Women's World Cup and the host nation, Australia. Scotty McGorry, all things Tour de France, a stage for the ages last night it was, stage 12, incredible racing. Olympic gold medalist Scott McGorry to join us. Miles Fitzner, a taste of magic at the end before we leave you. All thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. But this is the time to call... One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Errol, David, and Jack, you're up after the news. Got a couple of prizes to give away as well. Stick around. Welcome back. This is the captain's run for state transport. Errol Gordon was magnificent last night, but I know that Errol from Aspendale is just as impressive on the open line. Errol, thanks so much for waiting. Appreciate it, and really, really keen to hear your assessment of your Western Bulldogs out of last night. Oh, you've created an expectation for me, Sam. I hope I can meet it. Um, Miles, I'm afraid I'm joining the chorus. Look, I don't like to be negative. I want to always try and offer up something constructive. But I think there is a... The love for beverage is fading. I think he has many good points. I would like the Bulldogs to recruit a tactician and and beverage to be open-minded and accept that and let go of ego and work on it. I look at all the talent and the depth that's there. My heart goes out to Bond after last night. Uh, they're working their bums off and getting no reward. There's a lot of talk about defence. Uh, so I want to talk about Sam Power and recruiting. They got Liam Jones and seemed to think, well, that's it. We've uh, boosted up the defence. Well, you need six good defenders, so mm. we need someone else there. I also look at the forward structure. That doesn't fill me with confidence. There's so much talent. But how come so many times when the ball comes in, we're way outnumbered a lot of the time, or else there's everybody's there and it, it's just a bonfire. Uh, but last night you could see clearly a couple of times where McNaught, uh, Norton's trying to fight three opposition players and there's not another bulldog in sight. If, if when you're at the game, there are times when everybody is forward of the 50. Everybody, of course, they get caught out on the quick break back. But it's like primary school kids running around with 18 on ballers. You know, I assume we've got the same number of players on the field. How come 
we get so outnumbered in the forward line from time to time. So the whole thing, I think, needs a forensic examination right down from uh, coach, assistant coaches and recruitment. So thank you for letting me have a rant this morning, Jan. Errol, absolute pleasure, and I'm so glad you called in. Hey, stick around, if you're willing to, anyway, Errol, and I hope this is of some use, but I'll flick you the $100 Peter Jackson voucher. Uh, I've got to say, it was comprehensive, well-contained, everything I thought it would be, Errol. What I would like to ask people as well is, Sam Darcy, I mean, you got to feel for him, having such a... And unlucky, this text here, double four seven. him going down last night hurt the doggies up forward. James O'Donnell as well in the concussion protocols. Gee, there's a lot of calls coming through, so let's get to them. David's in back of Smash. David, the doggies. Yeah, good morning, Sam. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Sam, I've been a member for uh, over 55 years. Um, And I think uh, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, and that's Luke Beveridge. Um, since winning the 2016 flag, and at that point, the, the general consensus of opinion was that with our list, we would contend for many years, and I know we did in 21. We have failed to make the top four since Beveridge has been at the club. We have in that period had premiership and best and fairest players leave our club, uh, those being Hunter, Dunkley, Cordy mm. and others, and, you know, Lipinski... Um, and there's likely this year, uh, the way things are going, it being Smith, Sweet and possibly West. Um, they have left because they have been played out of position regularly, causing their confidence and their form to drop off. Um, our best in Bont, Libba, McRae, Smith and a number of others will be burnt out in three to four years because of the constant workload and position changes that have been a constant since 2016. Bad decisions made and the biggest issue in our back half never being properly addressed. David, appreciate your call, David. I hope I've given you enough time there. Certainly, like a lot of people, you've got some criticisms on a tactical perspective. I'll need to whip through them, though, so I can give everyone a chance. Thanks for the call, David. Jack's in Nidri. Jack, the doggies. G'day, Sam, mate. First time, long time here. Um, everyone keeps bringing up the talent and everyone saying we've got too much talent. I hate saying that because it's all about system. Like, defence wins premierships, yeah. Like, the Tigers, pretty much, their back line won them three flags. Collingwood's back line's really good at the moment. And the Bulldogs, even the midfielders, like, it just seems that no one defends. Five goals in a row, two weeks in a row, that yeah. pretty much cost us a game. It's just, I, I don't know if that's coaching or... I just reckon it's system. Like, obviously, we've got the talent there, but that's just my say, mate. Yeah, it's a good conversation, Jack, and, and thanks for taking the time to, to ring in for the first time this morning. It is so hard to assess from the outside looking in without being privy to these internal conversations um, that, that obviously take place. But you speak uh, from a sing from a similar hymn sheet to everyone else this morning. Off the text, dogs have a side that's completely out of whack. Yes, the midfield is premiership ready, but front and back are still a work in progress. Jack, though, comes back to more system as much as personnel. Michael joins us on the FS Open line as well. Mick, you want to talk about Geelong? Yeah, mate. Um, Geelong supporter. Looking at the, uh, the fixture, I think we've got seven games left. And we've got to play six in the top eight. I, I just, I'm worried that uh, no one's really talking about it. I, we're, we're probably it's up to us to win. And if uh, if we don't win, we're relying on other 
sides to lose to make the eight. Yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, you got. I think maybe the reason it, it's sort of a bit off Broadway is you got four of those games down at GMHBA Stadium, which we, we know your track record down there. So um, there's a back end of a uh, backlog of home games coming up, but certainly this game against Essendon is enormous. Uh, really looking forward to it on Saturday night. Then you've obviously got Brisbane at the Gabba. You've got Fremantle at GMHBA. You've got Port Adelaide at GMHBA. Big game against Collingwood. Saints at Marvel. And then the Doggies back at GMHBA Stadium. So if you're good enough, what a great examination. But these these are, these, these are the sort of draws you get as a Premier, um, uh, you know, with the sliding scale of difficulty that they have with that 6-6-6. Six, six and six. Um, So it is what it is, Michael, really. If you're good enough, you get in. If you're not. You don't. And players to come back, Jeremy Cameron, this week as well. Graham's up in Sydney. Thanks for call, Michael. Good day, Graham. Welcome. Yeah, hi. How are you, Sam? I'm good, thanks. Um, yeah, my, my rant is more to do with um, the bump, and I find myself agreeing with David King, which is a serious worry for me. Um, the, main, the main issue I had was when um, Jake Lloyd went off with concussion last week, Toby, Toby Nankervis was allowed to remain on the field. Now, that's not the, the point that I'm making, but uh, if a player is deliberate in his actions, is reported at the time, and the player that he inflicts the injury on has to leave the field, I think that there should be an automatic sub off of that offending player. Red card? Now, the, well, not really a red card, because it's, um, it's going to be like... If it goes to the MRO and he gets suspended, I think that um, compensating for that loss would be one week off his suspension. So if he got three weeks from the MRO or the tribunal, he would only have to serve two. Yep. No, not a bad system, Graham. I mean, at least there's some black and white in that. I think a lot of the debate around the red card rule or whatever you want to call it, a player being removed from the ground, uh, is another layer of... um, debate or confusion or the potential to get things wrong and it would be a severe punishment um, if if the crime didn't fit it. But at least your framework has uh, has some black and white about it, Graham. Thanks very much for, for calling in. Darren's on the road. Darren, you want to talk about the doggies coach as well? Welcome to you. Oh, yes. Hi, mate. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to say um, all the best, uh, Tom Morris. Um, I had a similar injury a number of years ago, and um, so wishing him all the best. Um, I'm a Richmond man, but watching uh, Beveridge coach, I'm a big rap for his coaching. I think it, he's coaching actually better than in the premiership year because his top six players are elite, but his bottom six players are av- av- average at best. Yep. Uh, so as everyone's starting to know, you're only as good as your bottom six. And his bottom six uh, just aren't uh, helping the side enough at the moment. Uh, I think that's what he was alluding to last night, with some of his comments, without naming anybody, which, of course, you wouldn't. Um, it really stands out watching the game at home. Um, just they're not quite up to the pace of the game. Thanks for the call, Darren. I appreciate it. Just in regards to the coach, I mean, he signed only last December. 
for another uh, couple of seasons. So he's uh, in charge there, at least contractually, until the end of 2025, Luke Beveridge. A lot of selection intrigue. Just a couple of these texts quickly. Shane, the big Sav, Sava, not in Geelong's best side. I know he's played more this season, but he's not. if he's not marking, he doesn't offer anything else. Sam, the Demons did the deal with Grundy because he's three years younger than Gorn. Gorn isn't going to be around forever. That's from Peter. And then Shooter and Kilsoth. Why is Brad Scott risking Ridley? Can't possibly be 100%. Give him one week's uh, rest and play Nick Cox. The Dons are a big watch here, by the way. But it's another selection topic I want to discuss on the other side of this break. Nova Paris is going to join us. Olympic gold medalist to talk about her son and soon-to-be AFL player Jack Paris. Back after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Mum, hello, how you going? Hi, um, what are your plans on Saturday? Are you heading up to Darwin again? Yes, tonight. Tonight, um, right, well, we have to can those plans because I'm um, playing in Gold Coast this week. <laughs> I knew she'd be emotional. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Mum. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, you've helped me through a lot, so... Here you go. Oh, <laughs> well, Nova Paris is an Olympic Games, the Commonwealth Games gold medalist as well, who's shone in the green and gold as a track athlete and a hockey player. But I'm sure any pride Nova had in her own performances down the years would have been matched with the pride she now has in her son, Jack Paris, who was last night named to make his AFL debut for St Kilda against Gold Coast tomorrow. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Nova Paris to SEN. Nova, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, you were emotional and obviously impossible to blame you. It just must be fantastic and a great feeling to see someone, you know, you love so much achieve a dream like this. Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, like, I guess people who know Jack's journey, he, he was an 11-year-old little top-end, you know, skinny-legged kid from the <laughs> Northern Territory that dreamt big and wanted to go to boarding school in Melbourne. So he, he, he put on his you know, big brave jacket and went to boarding school at Melbourne Grammar and um, yeah, graduated, not last year, the year before. And um, yeah, got drafted with four of her Melbourne Grammar lads. So, you know, not only did he, has he now been able to live out his AFL dream, but, um, you know, he's accomplished a lot in uh, his athletics field as well. But yeah, to see, you know, that phone call, he never FaceTimes me. The only time he ever bloody FaceTimes me is his, cooking in the kitchen and he wants help with um, the ingredients going into a curry chicken or something. <laughs> hey. so I knew it was going to be one or the other. He's either cooking or he's going to ring me and saying he's debuting. I love it. I love it. And before we get back to his journey, I can hear you're at the airport and the announcement's in the background. Now, has this been a glorious curveball for you? What's What has this done for you logistically? Obviously, Jack and the video say you were due to go to Darwin this weekend. Uh, what has this change of plans meant? Oh, look, it's it's been incredible. And, you know, like coincidentally, I happened to be in Perth um, when he was, he's actually been first emergency four times this year. And it was first emergency for um, St Kilda to play against West Coast. And I was there for work and no other family member was there. So he, some, you know, for not, un, some unknown reason, he got a call up and had a debut through that process. It would have been a bit of a sad sight because, I would have been the only family member cheering in the stand. So, yes, I was due to go to um, back to Darwin last night, but I've had to, to change plans and I'm at the airport. I've just watched the Western Bulldogs go through Gate 42 back to Melbourne. I'm going to Gate 45 up to the Gold Coast. 
How exciting. So Nova, he's just his journey coming through, you know, in a sporting sense. Did he dream of Olympic gold before he dreamed of, you know, kicking on the MCG? He he, he did. Like, I guess, you know, myself as a two-time Olympian and Jack's um, late father, Daniel Batman, who also ran at the uh, Sydney mm. Olympics, we were both, you know, Olympians. So, um, you know, it's it's, of course, it's, you know, it's a dream that's still sort of out there, I suppose, with the 2032 Olympics. But he always dreamt of playing AFL. And I don't know if you know that Brandon Parfitt's my nephew. Yeah. He's also, his mum's a Paris. And so it's a genetic thing, you know, where all of our family are AFL lovers. And, you know, my uncle was a fantastic footballer. He played um, in Country Vic with the Motlops back in the day in the 70s. So, you know, for, for Jack to have realised his dream yesterday and, just to see the overwhelming emotion from his teammates when he was announced was just, it's a beautiful thing. And he's, he's a, such a good kid, you know, he's a young man now, but he works bloody hard and always has. And, you know, he's won seven national titles in athletics. And, and you don't do that without, you know, discipline and dedication yeah. and commitment. And I'm just so happy for him. Hence me over, you know, being so overwhelmed with um, emotion yesterday to realise that dream and, and to, to hear his little giggle. Hi, Mum, how are you going? I'm like, oh, my God, this, this is a phone call I've been waiting for. <laughs> Fantastic. And just quickly, Nova, what sort of role, how influential was someone like Cyril Rioli in his footballing journey? They've had a bit to do with each other for a while, haven't they? Yeah, Cyril's played a huge role in Jackie Boy's, um, you know, I guess he's his childhood hero, you know. Um, if you actually look at Jackie Boy's um, Instagram handle, it's, you know, Jack Paris, 33. (laughs) He's still got Cyril Rioli's number. (laughs) But, you know, Jack first met Cyril, I think, when he was about seven seven years old. And, um, you know, he's mentored Jack, especially over the last two years when Jack went back to Darwin and played in the Cyril Rioli Cup. And um, it was only last year, during Christmas time, Jack just rings Cyril up and Cyril's so still bloody fit. He goes to training with Jack and the two of them just run laps and kick the footy together. So he's been a huge inspiration. And, you know, that um, self-possible concept is you can't be what you can't see. And and Cyril Rioli has had a huge impact on Jackie Boy's life. And I'm just so happy um, that, you know, Jack still has such high regard for, for Cyril and, you know, a number of the other um, mentors that's been a really important in his life. It's it's just awesome, Nova. I'm so wrapped for you and the family. Enjoy it tomorrow. I know you will. Hope he goes well and really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us this morning. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. There's the Olympian Nova Paris, gold medalist as well. Son Jack about to debut for the Saints. Great story out of last night. We'll watch with interest tomorrow. Some great feedback for Nova Paris off the text from Kane. Honest and from the heart, Nova, genuine, proud, loving Australian mum. What a legend Nova is, says Matt. Extraordinary career. She sounds cool too. And this one from Tim in Edithvale. Not sure if this is going to come as a surprise to you, Sam, but I've watched Jack play a couple of Sandy games and he's bloody quick. Serious Jets. He will shock some of the commentators with his pace and his tenacity. Has done a mountain of work and deserved his chance. We wish him well. Love those stories. Buddy Bet users, follow the SEN Captain's Run account. You can comment or like on the Jackpot group. For tonight's game, what's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You know, we might continue the Jack Perris discussion because he was taken as a Category B rookie. Spent a bit of time in the St Kilda Academy. 
And we're going to speak to Nick Del Sando on the other side of this. So stick around. The captain's run. It's an absolute hamburger with a lot on the McCafe menu. Chris Stubbs from Wimbledon shortly. Richie McCaw, All Blacks Rugby Union Royalty. Andy Harper, all things FIFA Women's World Cup. Scott McGrory, all things Tour de France. Miles Fitzner to provide our gateway into a weekend's racing. And just as I sift through the Western Bulldogs texts here, Adam, hate to burst the bubble. There is no Thursday night game next week. Adam, I know we addressed it earlier. Rest in peace, Thursday night footy. Andy, Sammy, do you know if Michael Neeser got any wickets after his big innings? Now, Andy, thank you for texting us. Cricket's the one subject we're not going to canvas today. 176 for Glamorgan, obviously, famously for Michael Neeser. He followed it up, bowling against Leicestershire, 1-4-36. Two maidens, 11 overs bowled. Uh, Mitch Swepson, another Aussie in that lineup, took two for. Um, so there you go. Hope that uh, satisfies your question. Round 18 is massive. We got started last night with a fascinating game. We've discussed the doggies all morning thus far, but there's a number of crossroad uh, moments ahead of us this weekend, and it's latter predictor season, I think it's fair to say. Nick Del Sano, AFL Nation's very own, joins us on the line as he does. Nick, welcome to you. Thanks for your time, mate. More than welcome. Lovely to chat as always. We were just speaking Jack Paris. Now, he's obviously taken as a Cat B rookie, he spent some time in the academy, obviously, at the Saints. So you would have had a bit to do with him? Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy and proud of him. He's a um, he's come from a little way back, it must be said. And in the same sort of group with um, Mitch Owens and Marcus Winhager that were sort of the standouts in that, you know, next generation academy um, crop. And then Jack Paris just got to work. So he's a fantastic story. I'm, I'm sure his mum spoke really well and glowingly of him. He's a brilliant kid and was extremely easy to coach just in his ability to absorb information, ask further questions, and then prepare to go away and do the work. So he's sort of been on the cusp now for, it was like about 12 to 18 months. Like he's shown some really pleasing signs. And I spoke to someone at the football club about a month ago and I said, you know, who do you think's improved the, the most? And when I was actually asked, I was referring to the senior team, the boys that had been playing the majority of the year. And the answer was Jack Paris. And I said, oh, okay, really? I said, well, from where he was and where he is right now, he's had as much growth as, as anybody at the club. So that's a really pleasing sign for a guy that's got to work and gets a great opportunity. Beautifully said. But what sort of wheels are we talking here? How fast is he? <laughs> he he's fast and he can run for a long time. So I'll share a quick story. Oh, and I can't quote exactly what year it was, but uh, let's say four or five years ago when he joined mm. the Next um, Generation Academy we spoke with him and his mother, and the first answer was, well, after Jack goes to the Olympics and runs for Australia, then he'll come and play football. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, so we've got a bit of an athlete on our hands here. So he's quick, yep, there's no doubt, but he can sustain that high-end speed, which every AFL player needs to have these days. He can sustain that for a long period of time. So he's got the wheels. He'll be good to go. The game last night, Sydney win it by two points. Now, a lot of the uh, post-mortem in here has centred on the Western Bulldogs and where they sit and should they be better and are they maximising the talent they've got on their list? Are they imbalanced with the talent they've got on their list and their bottom six v their top six? How do you look at the Western Bulldogs? How did you view last night, Dal? It might be a combination of all of those answers, Sam, and it is, it's really difficult to answer which one it is. Um, first of all, I thought it was a great game of football. Uh, that's, that's the starting point and... Um, you know, we could speak exactly the same about the Sydney Swans and the year that they've had. And if it was a couple of points difference, we're having the exact same conversation about Sydney. 
Um, so a great game of football. And then ultimately one team just had to be up at the right time. And it was Sydney. And the way that they close out games, the way that they can shut a game down in those final moments. I've, and they probably left a few goals out there, to be honest. Like Bud misses two. Um, there's a couple of opportunities, you know, late in the game. So they probably could have put a couple more goals on the board. But in regards to the dogs, my my take on it is what we're seeing from them now is exactly who they are. I don't think they should be any better and I don't think they should be any worse. The teams that that should beat them, I think, that have, you know, consistently the, the top six-odd teams have beaten them this year. And, and likewise, they should beat the teams that they are. So unfortunately, they're in that middle bracket I don't know how they get out. I don't see enough uh, talent outside of the stars. And Marcus Bonds and Pally again was unbelievable last night. But outside of that, I just don't know how they progress further than where they currently sit right now. Tonight is huge in the context of the Demons and the Lions season. And it's been huge in selection with Brody Grundy obviously left out. I'll get your thoughts on that. And huge in the lead-in with Chris Fagan just increasingly irritated over questions about his side's record at the MCG. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's got yeah. a bit of everything. Yeah, it does. Uh, this is going to be a ripping game. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first. I'm going to go with my tip. I reckon Brisbane get it done tonight. Um, I don't understand about hoodoos. I don't understand about bogey grounds. Um, my take on the MCG is it's the best place to play, play football in the world. Uh, it might be slightly different dimensions than what other teams might be used to, but it's roughly the same length. It's got goalposts at either end, and you've got a responsibility to play anywhere in Australia. So <laughs> I don't get it. Is <laughs> my, my first piece. Um, within that, it, this is a monster game, and maybe we'll have some more clarity on who we think could possibly compete with Collingwood come the next month or two. Mm. Um, I think I've been impressed with Brisbane's last two weeks. Um, I think they've improved in some areas. I think they've been more consistent and spread the workload across the board. Um, I go back a month ago where I didn't feel like that about them. I thought they were um, picking and choosing at times. I thought they were inconsistent within games and had some real faults, both moving the football and defensively. And that's probably a consistency piece. And then the D's, I think I'm like the majority of people that watch footy, just waiting for this thing to click better than what it is. And you know what? The, the threat is, if this Grundy piece being out of the team works better for them, I, why would you bring him back in? I, I understand that there's a huge financial investment. I understand mm. that there'll be a lot of publicity about it. And it's not like we need to tell Simon Goodwin how to do his job, but his responsibility is to put the best team out on the field. And if that still remains without Brody Grundy, then that's your answer. It's an expensive mistake, though, and I know I'm going a long way down the path with that. Hopefully, it doesn't get to that. And they had, if they were going to bite the ball, they had to do it now just to give themselves time to to yep. see what it looks like without him, and then to obviously to get him back. So it's a fascinating watch from here in regards to to Brody Grundy. While Collingwood are paying a bit of his wage, it's still a significant outlay. I wanted to ask you about Port Adelaide Carlton, which is big as well. So when when a side like Port Adelaide makes seven changes, I mean. Is it how hard is it to find cohesion with this amount of changes? And I know they've won third in a row, but what's the tipping point for unsettling a side that's that's been humming? Um, I'm going to be at Marvel Stadium tomorrow for this game, so I cannot wait. I don't know the answer to that, um, Sammy. I, I don't know what the particular number is. I don't think we've ever done a study on what or what is a great number. Seven is significant. I think we can simply put it down as that. And you look at a handful of, of the names like Charlie Dixon just by himself. Horn Francis, Trent um, McKenzie with that injury last week, like Ryan Burden. Like they're guys that have had some 
important roles and are important players for that group. But by saying that, it's sort of hard to question what Port Adelaide have done this year. Like They've done a lot of really good things. Tom Jonas gets another opportunity, which is fantastic. Scott Lysette comes back in. Xavier Dersmer, it feels like it's been ages since we've got to, you know, got to watch him run around. So it, it, seven's not a great number. That, that's the reality. You, you don't want to make that amount of changes. But um, this group's found a way. You know, they continually just find a way to get themselves over the line. I think this will be a ripping game Saturday afternoon. Yep. Uh, Stuart Jew, obviously the week uh, dominated by the news of his sacking as the Gold Coast coach. Now, you were at the Saints when Grant Thomas was moved on, when Ross Lyon moved on himself for Fremantle. It must be a strange time as a player. So take us inside the Suns dressing room. Well, I was fortunate that the, I, I never did it. I never experienced that throughout the course of a season. My experiences with yeah. coaches coming and going were at the end of the year where you had a little bit more time to debrief or you were probably overseas and it was the last thing on your mind at times. Um, it must be a huge challenge. And the upheaval and you know, just think about Stuart Dew for, for a moment where he has a full-time job. I can only imagine the amount of stress, anxiety, pressure, mental absorption that football takes up in your day and then to think, okay, I don't have to go to work tomorrow and my whole life is completely different, that you're no longer welcome and your swipe card doesn't work at the facility you've been at for a long period of time. So that, I think, is, is a huge challenge. And for the players, you've just got to buckle up. You know, Stephen King comes in, who I've had a little bit to do with over the years, who I think is a fantastic person, um, highly educated in the football space, Um but then it's sort of just get on with footy. Football clubs have an incredible way of just moving on and what you felt like would never change, changes. And then before you know it, you can't even remember what it used to be like. So they've got a good game um, come tomorrow night. They've got the Saints who you know need to get to work. They've got some more work to do to remain in the top eight. Gold Coast last two performances haven't been horrific. I know that the Collingwood one wasn't ideal, but they're up by a kick against Port Adelaide um, and then ultimately get beaten by who we think is possibly the second best team in the country. So they've got, they've got some things that are really working well for them, but this is going to be a significant challenge. Dale, great to chat, mate. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Uh, there's a lot to take in. Appreciate your time as always. Always welcome and love chatting to you. See you, mate. There's Nick Del Santo there from AFL Nation on deck for Port Adelaide and Carlton tomorrow afternoon, which should be a cracker at Marvel Stadium. Melbourne's weather today... Wind easing later. Thank goodness. She, she was blowing a gale at my joint last night. Partly cloudy, though. Top of 15. No need for the sunscreen. That's for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. A lot of text coming through. I'll detail those shortly. But we're going to go to Wimbledon next. Well, the All England Club finds itself at the pointy end of Wimbledon once again. In the women's, the defending champ and the top seed have packed their bags. But in the men's, we've seen this movie a few times. Novak Djokovic is one win away from his ninth Wimbledon final and potentially a fifth consecutive grass title. Thanks to Stan Sport, Chris Stubbs is our man on the ground in London and he joins us once again this morning. Stubbsy, hello. Sammy, good morning to you. How are you? Very well and all the better for talking to you after that overnight action. I've got to ask you about this. On Jabir, the unseated Czech market at Vondrasova will meet in the women's final. Now just with Ons, she fought back from what was it, a set down, 4-2 down, makes a second consecutive decider. So she's uh, done it the hard way but she's done it. Yes, she has, and the performance she put in today, both of these ladies, Arena Sabalenka and Onsabur, was one of the best semifinals we've seen in recent times. So Sabalenka, the heavy hitter, Ons a little more creative in her weaponry, but she's adjusted her game. And I think the perfect dress rehearsal was playing 
in the repeat of last year's final against Elena Rubakina in the previous round. So another heavy hitter. Mm. And she'd worked out what she needed to do against Sabalenka. And Sabalenka threw everything at Ons. Everything. The kitchen sink plus, And Ons was still standing. And I think Sabalenka in that second set started to think, well, what else can I do here to break this girl? Because Sabalenka could see the number one ranking was just two games away. So all that Sabalenka had to do was win the match today and she would be the world number one. And she's spoken openly about her desire to hold that mantle. And I think she got a little tense and Ons pounced and put the pressure straight back on the Belarusian. And it was fantastic to see. The third set was, in the end, quite comfortable for mm. Ons. And as I said, now in her second Wimbledon final in a row and third Grand Slam final, but yet to win one, Sammy. So that's the question mark. Yeah, but geez, she's battle-hardened and maybe those fans amongst uh, around her inner circle will say that maybe there's a sense of destiny about this one given the fight back as well. On the other side of the net, though, Stubbsy, Vondrasova rolled the Ukrainian Alina Svitolina. So this makes her, another piece of history here, the first unseeded player to make the Wimbledon final in the open era, which is a great achievement. Yeah, so 60 years since we've been in this position. And, and both of these ladies had fascinating backstories in that Alina Svitolina has been spoken about a lot nine months ago. She had her first childhood daughter with Gail Monfils, former pro that we would know well. And she's playing for Ukraine. She's been so open in her stance, understandably so, with the political situation that's going on there. So she's riding this enormous wave of support and was the heavy crowd favourite inside centre court today. But Marketa Vondrasova, to her defence, 12 months ago, she was here watching a friend in qualifying with a cast on her wrist following surgery. She has been to a Grand Slam final before. She lost to Ash Barty, the French, in 2019. She's been a silver medalist at the Olympics. This time that she's had out of the game through injury has served her to realise the importance of tennis in her life and how much she loves it. And she had a great perspective. So she had a great story too. So while the sentimental favourite was Svitolina, Marketa Vondrasova played a perfect set from about midway through the first set to midway through the second and deserves her shot becoming the Wimbledon champ. Yep, and regardless of what happens at the weekend, we'll have a new women's champion, which is not what we'll have. But, well, we could have it in the men, I suppose, if you're <laughs> feeling brave. So Novak has Yannick Sinner tonight in that semi-final stubsy. So there's a 14-year age gap between the pair. And it is hard to talk Novak without talking the numbers. So it's his 46th Grand Slam semi, equaling Roger Federer's record. He's aiming to make his 35th Grand Slam singles final, which would be an outright record. He's going for a fifth straight Wimbledon title. I imagine, Stubbsy, it's a bit like the pilot, you know, up in the Airbus A380, just kicking back, putting it onto the automatic pilot. Seems a little bit like that. And you missed some of the stats there, Sam. I couldn't go on forever. We'd be here all morning. Eight Wimbledon titles to equal the great Roger Federer. 24th Grand Slam title to equal Margaret Corders, the most of all time men or women. So you could roll on with those stats for forever. One important stat last year, these two played each other. Djokovic yeah. was down two sets to love against Sinner. Sinner comes, uh, Djokovic comes back, wins not just that match, but goes on to win the title. How much damage has that done to Sinner? I think, conversely, he'll take that as a confidence that he could push Novak Djokovic to five here at Wimbledon, where he's so, so comfortable. And Sinner's only 21 years of age, so only better for that 12 months more out on court on the tour, now number eight in the world. So this is not a lot of there by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think. Sinner's had a pretty easy run to the semis, hasn't really been tested. 
whereas Djokovic has dropped a couple of sets here and there and seems battle-hardened for me. So, yeah, you can't go past Djokovic whatsoever. Good thing Yannick gave up that downhill skiing too, I reckon. That decision's definitely paid off. Now, <laughs> I, I, I love this, Stubbsy, because most athletes shy away from being put up, you know, with the favourite tag. They do everything they can to play down the expectation. Even in their heart of hearts, they think they're red-hot favourites and, and they're bursting with confidence. But not Novak who did admit he didn't want to sound arrogant, but then came out and said, of course, you know, of course, I would consider myself the favourite. <laughs> Look, it's a tough question. So we have Kim Kleisters on our show here on Grand Slam Daily on Sand Sport. And I said the same thing to Kim. I'm like, how do you answer that question as an athlete when you know you're the favourite? I said, because if you say that you're not, you're lying. And if you say that you are, you're viewed as arrogant. And she said that it was always the hardest question to answer. So Djokovic has been honest. The records and stats, his form currently would say that he's the favourite. So why not own it and put a little bit more doubt into Sinner's mind? But I saw him on the practice court today. He looked so relaxed, like you said, autopilot, just joking around with his team, hitting Mm. the ball very cleanly. And he loves records. He's inspired by them. He strives for them. He doesn't shy away from that either. So very, very comfortable Novak Djokovic heading into tonight's semi against Yannick Sinner. Now, the other side of the draw, Chris, Carlos Alcaraz, so much hope and hype around him. Daniil Medvedev, yep. uh, two who probably have little pedigree up until now on grass, particularly at Wimbledon, of course. So the Spaniard has dubbed his Russian rival the octopus. He's talked him up. <laughs> uh, what do you think? How do you think this one plays out? Well, it's fascinating because, as you say, it's not their preferred surface for either of the Medvedev loves the hard courts. He's won the U.S. Open. Alcaraz's most preferred surface is on clay, albeit he won the U.S. Open last year. They've both been to number one. Alcaraz is there now. Medvedev has been there previously. It's their first semi-final for both of them at Wimbledon. Medvedev, more of the old guard, 27 years of age. He's had a pretty easy run in terms of names that he's defeated getting through to the semi-final, whereas Alcaraz has the runs on the boards, defeated Berrettini, defeated Holger Runa uh, in his quarterfinal. Alcaraz, for mine, is getting better on grass each time he plays. Medvedev, not necessarily so much. So that's why I think Alcaraz is the one that you've got to pick in this match. They did play here two years ago. It was Medvedev in straight sets. He dropped just seven games against Alcaraz, but Alcaraz was a baby. 18 years of age, I think we disregard that. Mm. And I think that Alcaraz is deservedly the favourite here. And he actually pretty much smacked Medvedev earlier this year at Indian Wells in the final in straight sets. So that's where my money would be on that one. Yep, Novak, Carlos, that's the final. I think most would want. Hopefully Carlos fuels up this time and, and he avoids those uh, those <laughs> dreaded cramps. Hey, can I take you away from the singles just ever so briefly to the doubles? I, I did... Uh, uh, have a look out on court one. Was following Matty Ebden a little bit in his doubles run, and it was a decent run to the semi. They, they went down overnight, though, I saw. Yeah, they did. And look, that was probably expected. The opponents they're up against were the best in the world. So I, I wasn't really surprised by that. Ebden, of course, uh, last year doing such amazing things here. And, and what a. Geez, the success we've had in doubles in the last 18 months or so, of course. Uh, Kubler and Hijikata at the Aussie Open, the Special Ks at the Aussie Open, Wimbledon champions last year. We've had mixed at US. We've had some good form, but uh, Storm Sanders. Uh, so she's in, still in the competition for the women alongside Elise Mertens, her Belgian partner. So yes, Ebden went out, but the women's doubles, we've still got one. Still got one that we're claiming. Love it. Uh, and that could 
get a, a trophy at least this year at Wimbledon. So they're in the semi-finals there against Jang and Dollarhide. Well, a reminder that you can watch the action, all the action from Wimbledon. Every match streams ad-free. It streams live. It's on demand as well at the home of Grand Slam Tennis, Stan Sport. You can sign up for your free seven-day trial now at stan.com.au forward slash tennis. Stubbsy, appreciate your insights and analysis as always. Let you get some sleep, mate, and we'll speak again soon. Anytime, mate. Some great tennis to come this weekend. Monique, thank you. Who's got Fox Cricket on right now? Major League Cricket is about to go live from Texas. First ball about to get sent down the runway there. Now, I'm just staggered that the LA Knight Riders have chosen to bowl first. <laughs> Against the Texas Super Kings. I don't have a dog in the fight, though. I'm a San Francisco Unicorns man myself. Aaron Finch skippering that squad. The Unicorns. The Stoin is in there as well. Marcus Stoinis. And, in fact, I might have a word to say. I might next week have a San Francisco Unicorns membership day uh, right here at SEN. It would appear only fitting. So it's a two-week tournament over there in the U.S. Who else have we got? We've got a team from New York. We've got the Seattle Orcas. I like the name, the Seattle Orcas. Texas Super Kings, Washington Freedom, six teams in it. Um, obviously, a lot of Aussies over there playing as well. Some local talent. Ah, Fox Cricket, eh? It's, we might, that's a subject in itself. Bizarre sports that get shown in bizarre bizarre venues. What was that? The, the Cornhole Championships I was watching with my kids the other day. Had to make them turn it off. The beanbags getting thrown into the, <laughs> into the target. Uh, the McCafe menu. Richie McCall's going to join us. We'll straighten up with him. Andy Harper as well. Scott McGrory. Miles Fitzner, our gateway to the weekend's racing. But I look forward to having a chat to this man each and every week. And we do so because you want to get around Bluebet and particularly the Bluebet app. Download it today. Bluey. Richard Hummerston's on the line. G'day, Hummer. Sammy, top of the morning to you. Now, I'm not sure if you've got a market for Major League Cricket, so we'll steer you away from that. Uh, let's talk about Melbourne and Brisbane. It's uh, a big game tonight at the MCG. A monster game, and I'm just having a look at the book now. The cash is just continuing to flood for Brisbane. They have come in from, well, they were over 2 bucks earlier in the earlier in the week, so $2.20, and they're now paying $1.95. And the way the cash is coming could jump as favourites. Punters just seemingly... Just ignoring the fact that they don't go too well at the G, but um, yeah, Melbourne are friendless in the punting, dollar eighty-five. So the odds are a coin toss. So if you think Brisbane will keep up their horrendous MCG record, the dollar eighty-five tonight might just be an absolute fill-up for punters. And speaking mm. of fill-up, just a little multi I've just uh, had a look at for tomorrow because I think I've just got market just might have it a little bit wrong. St Kilda two dollars forty-five. Oh, what about this? The Suns. Yes. I, it's, this it's it's a myth. I think punters are obsessed with this this um, this idea that when a coach gets sacked, they seem to win the next game. Someone mythbusted that a couple of years ago, and so you're getting two dollars forty five, and then throw that into the pies to just to cover a forty one point line against Frio at the MCG. Put those two together, Sammy. Four dollars seventy eight. Lobster goes on that. You've got your Palmer, your beer money. For the weekend. And a narrow, the Blues' narrow favourites, $1.85 to get it done against the seven change Port Adelaide, which is interesting as well. So, selection heavy uh, market with that particular game, too, just quickly. Yeah, that's right. And the, actually, the cash net is coming for the Blues uh, mm. on, the, on the back of that now. So, they've come in $2.10 into $1.85. So, uh, yeah, some value to be uh, had this weekend. You just need to know where to find it, Tommy. Hey, Hummer, just quickly, a couple of tests to go in the Ashes. The fourth starts next Wednesday from Old Trafford. What's what's the market looking like for that and, I guess, the overall? 
Uh, well, England are probably going to jump as favourites for the first test for the first time of, of a test this series. Two dollars twenty-five Australia, two dollars forty-five. We have taken more cash on the Aussies, but we're a patriotic bunch. We always do. But England, uh, all the experts, the markets, uh, the traders are saying England should be favourites, and still very short. Thankfully, to win the whole kit caboodle, a dollar forty Australia, the draw six fifty, England five dollars. So we've got it all. Make sure you head to Bluebet this weekend and have a fantastic weekend. Are they indeed. Thank you, Hummer. They are the true blue Aussie bookie. They are Bluebet. You can download the Bluebet app today. You win some, but you lose more. Free and confidential support resides at gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey, this Sunday from 10 o'clock, this is your journey. I'm catching up with a couple of former Matildas, Amy Chapman, Heather Garriock, and that's all thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives as we continue our countdown to the FIFA Women's World Cup, which starts next week. But tonight, a big game. Full dress rehearsal, the final one for Tony Gustafsson's squad. It is at a sold-out Marvel Stadium tonight. And we'll catch up with, as I said earlier, Andy Harper to help us set the scene for that a little bit later on. Uh, You can ride and camp through breathtaking Gippsland on the Great Vic Bike Ride. It's an institution as well. If you want to take part in that, jump online, greatvic.com.au. And off the text from Mel... Thanks for doing this, Mel, because I must admit this had escaped me completely. Shout out to Geordie Degowie's 150th this weekend. He's taken some interesting paths to get there, says Mel, but he is on the highway to success right now, which is a credit to him. Nice text there from Mel. Another milestone that we hadn't acknowledged so far this morning on the captain's run. We'll take a break. Jeez, an understatement to say much, much more to come. It's the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. Well, our next guest is a legend of New Zealand sport and an All Blacks icon. Richie McCaw won two Rugby World Cups. Three times he was named World Rugby Player of the Year. A glittering 148-game international career it was. We're just not going to talk about the Bledisloe Cup. Richie McCaw, welcome to SEN. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, cheers. Well, we're speaking to you because you've got some speaking to do. You're coming over here for a couple of engagements next month. How do you how do you find reliving it all, Richie? I mean, you had the, I suppose, the career reserve for the precious few, but not without adversity either. Yeah, I know. It's um, it's 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 cool to be able to, uh, I, I guess, allows you to sort of uh, think back and, and reminisce a little bit about about some uh, you know things gone by, and I guess that's what you get to do when you you finish. But um, yeah, I think uh, I've done a couple of these things before, and you know, you get people that um, you know with a World Cup coming, yeah, people are interested in you know what it's all about, and uh, we, you know, through my career, had a couple of uh, disappointing uh, cracks at it, and then two that uh, were a bit better, and and you know that you know I quite enjoy uh, yeah talking about the things that you you know that that take to uh, to be successful and what you get what you don't uh, when you aren't successful as well. So. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, well, just on that, I mean, I think when we all look at the All Blacks from the outside, I think the words that would probably come to mind are, you know, leadership across the board, great team culture, and an ability to maintain high performance for a long period of time. I mean, how strongly held are those values internally in the New Zealand setup? Uh, They're really important. And I think, you know, you look over the whole history of New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks, you know, 100-plus years, um, you know, we're probably... It's the one thing, one sport in New Zealand that uh, you know probably over over those years, uh, you know, been reasonably successful and um, and you know batted above uh, you know, bigger countries and you know, especially up in the northern hemisphere, things like that. And 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 I think the expectation within New Zealand, you know, from everyone is that the All Blacks are successful every time they play. And and I think when you're in the in the um, environment and you have got the you know the privilege of 
have been there, you, you, you understand that and know that, uh, you know, off days or just, you know, she'll be right today isn't really where you want to be. And I think that that's, that's a cool thing. It doesn't make it easy, but uh, mm. it, it, it means there's, uh, there's a bit riding on everything you do every day. And, and, and I, I guess it, from a personal point of view, I, I love that. I mean, it was, wasn't easy, and especially when you had disappointments like we had, uh, especially around 03 and 07 World Cups. But uh, I think if people didn't care and it was sort of okay to be sort of up and down, uh, you might uh, you might not uh, get the same reward out of that either. So, uh, so it is, you know, what you mentioned, a uh, huge important. Uh, we're speaking to All Blacks legend Richie McCall. Richie, I don't want to embarrass you here. I'm not sure if you've got the best winning record in world sport, but geez, it would have to go close. So you earn 148 caps for the All Blacks, and you win what 131 of those 148. You lose 15, and you draw two, and you play internationally for what 14 or 15 years. That is an amazing strike rate. Yeah, oh, it's. Uh, I guess it's something you know you reflect on with pride. Um, but you can't, in a, in a team sport, especially rugby, you can't mm. have uh, stats like that on your own. You've got to have uh, a good, a good team around you and, and good players you play alongside. So, I, uh, you know, I was pretty lucky through the years to have, um, you know, quality coaches and quality people. And uh, and and I, and I guess you know you still got to put it together week after week. And I think it's something that I'm you know proud of is it wasn't just in the odd occasion it was being able to do it consistently and stuff and and. Uh, you know, that, that's something you reflect with pride. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how you, you, you 130-odd wins, it's often the losses that are the ones you remember the most yeah. because you learn the most lessons, you know. Well, they must be more painful when you don't cop them that often as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess when you don't lose that often, uh, the teams that want to, you know, they, they, they you just know every time you play that they've got a chance to to get one over you, uh, it sort of means that you, you can't up against teams that are on the job every time, which, you know, means you can't you can't take it easy, but uh, not that you'd want to. But, um, yeah, it's funny, eh? you, you, you learn you learn the most about yourself and your team and the things you haven't got right when you don't, aren't successful. So as much as you never want to have it, sometimes when you do get it, you, you learn things that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, yeah. So, Richie, what what sort of honour is it, I, mean, I guess culturally as much as anything in your part of the world, to not only represent the All Blacks and pull on that famous jumper, but to captain them? And, and you touched on it earlier, though, that I guess that sort of uh, wrestle between, you know, the excitement and the privilege that it is and the people of New Zealand and then the expectation that comes with it and the pressure that must build around World Cups where nothing other than winning the whole box and dice will suffice. Yeah, it's um, it, you know, the, the expectation and stuff does make it uh, like you know you can you can go be careful you you don't get overawed by it and you know you go Jesus is all a bit big for you and whatnot and I think you just acknowledge that yeah it's a, it's a privilege and, and we always say rather than thinking it's um, you know you give given the jersey to wear that it's your jersey you sort of look at it like you're a caretaker for a certain time and your job's to you know. Uh, um, Add, contribute, uh, do something there that people uh, that the next people come along will go. Geez, that's gone to another level. And I think when you have that attitude, yeah, uh, it's it's about the the team and, and the service you can give it. And when you're in a senior, you know, role like as a leader or a captain, um, you know, the responsibility I guess goes up a little bit because you know you often set the attitudes and the uh, and and I guess. Um, 
you know, the expectations within, you know, it's all we were having without, but actually the things, the way you go about things and what we accept, what we don't and how we're going to do it and, and figure it out. And, and you want the guys to feel as comfortable as they can to know that they're picked because uh, they're good enough and then we just got the responsibility of going out and, uh, and putting performances together. And, and um, so you can feel it as a big weight on your shoulders or you can look at it as a privilege and be excited about a chance to, to add to what's, uh, you know, a lot of history that's gone before. Richie, you mentioned the 03, the 07 World Cup, the disappointments, obviously, that lay with those. But 2011, which you played with a fractured foot, I think, and 2015, those World Cup, what, what stands out? Can you, is it like picking a favourite between your kids? I mean, what's the highlight? <laughs> um, well, I think the 2011 one, um, you put, put along... You, Put the context of you know we'd been unsuccessful in 2011. I'd been captain. The coaches were the mm. same coaches. You know, had we not been successful, we we might have all been looking for another job at that point. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I guess we all understood that. But the, the other side of it is playing at home. Uh, you know, the you got your friends, family, and all the fans in New Zealand had a hell of a time. You know, loving the World Cup, even if you weren't a real. Um, uh, keen rugby fan, you sort of you could see people got into it, and and I, and I guess we didn't really as a team experience that, but we knew it was going on, and uh, the, the fact that we got to sort of cap that off with a with a win and really make that six weeks the fun and that uh, you know uh, topped off was it was amazing. I'm not, I'm not sure what it would have been like having not been successful, but the thing around that one was just pure relief. Like uh, you know we would spent four years thinking about how we could, uh, you know, get ourselves in a position to handle whatever came. And, um, you know, the margins aren't very big. You know, one point <laughs> either way is the difference between, you know, um, what was going to happen for another four years or not, you know. Mm. And um, so that one was the relief. And I think once we got that through, it was sort of how you reassess. And, you know, it would be easy to sort of meander through the next years. Yeah, well, we've sort of nailed that and whatever it will be. Whereas we wanted to actually go... You know, earn that tag of having that you had for four years, world champion. Like play like that each time we got to play, and uh, and then you know do something that no other team had been able to do is, is win it again and, and do it away from home. So um, I guess those sort of motivations, and 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 I think you know we had a group of senior players that all finished up around then, but you know uh, those guys I got to play alongside a lot. You know, really, I guess in that four-year period after you know the success in 2011 really drove that sort of attitude to go, why not have another crack and, and do it again? And, and the other guys that sort of led the way, uh, you know, right up to the last game. Yeah. Just a huge amount of satisfaction to have been able to do that. I reckon. And obviously with the foot that you re-injured and obviously fractured, I mean, clearly the key is, I don't think you got a second x-ray upon re-injuring it either. So maybe that's the key, you know, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I think that was the, the, the way I sort of looked at it. I, I was just thankful I could um, still have a crack. You know, my old mate Dan Carter, Pulled a muscle and couldn't play, whereas I, you know, yep, it was mm. uh, was an ideal. I would have chosen not to have had something like that, but you get the card you dealt, and uh, I was just lucky to be able to do it. I, you know, people say, oh, all the things you're in, and I, I always say, I'd only play if I could perform to my best. You know, and if it was going to hinder that, then it was time for someone else to come in, but uh, just thankful that, um, you know, got to the end and still was able to do it. So, uh, yeah, no, it was... <laughs> As you say, it's sort of those things are there to test you and uh, it kind of makes it uh, even more worthwhile the fact that it wasn't just all straightforward.
Uh, brilliant to talk to you, Richie. An honour on my behalf, so I appreciate you taking the time. I'll, I'll read through. You're going to be at the Hyatt Melbourne, August 10 at 6.30. Hyatt Regency, Sydney, August 11 at 12.30. So for tickets to those, you go to t14.com.au. All tickets include three-hour beverage package, two-course dinner, entry into the event. All Blacks memorabilia and merchandise will be available there as well. Richie, great to talk to you, mate. Safe travels when you do come over, and, and, and thanks for your time this morning. Great to talk and looking forward to getting over there. Good on you. Richie McCaw there, an absolute legend of world rugby and an all-blacks icon. Uh, A lot of texts coming through. We'll read those out shortly. Still much more to come on the McCafe menu as well. And I can't believe it, but Faf Duplessis has gone for a golden Major League Cricket. Always said he doesn't bat well in Texas. The captain's run with Sam Edmund. Obviously, I hadn't spoken to Richie McCall before, but I reckon it'd be a great listen. Uh, another way to get tickets to his uh, to his lunches in Melbourne and Sydney is uh, also via Ticket Tech. So uh, that's something I wanted to put out there. His uh, dinner slash lunch. Maybe it'll go all afternoon. I'm not sure. We'll say dinner in Melbourne, lunch in Sydney. How about we settle on that? Richie McCall. Hey, buddy bet users, follow the SEN Captain's Run account. Comment or like on the Jackpot group for tonight's game, which is Melbourne and Brisbane. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So as always, most disposal conversation in this space. I'm not sure how I can... I'm all for looking for points of difference here. I'm not sure how you can go past Lockie Neal. With Josh Dunkley out of that side, Lockie Neal's done it the last one, two, three, four, five times, most disposals for the Brisbane Lions. Before that, there was the buy, and before that, it was Josh Dunkley, and before that, it was Lockie Neal a couple of times before that. So you'd be brave, bordering on silly to not nominate him, and I'm suspecting Jack Viney might get it done for the D's tonight, most disposals. As always, do so responsibly. The golden crumb for Schnitz. The Crummers Coleman, which is what we're all about here. Schnitz, the home of fresh, golden, handcrafted schnitzels. Leaderboard, strange. We got Toby Green on 38, Charlie Cameron 37. Neither were able to add to their tally last week. Charlie Cameron goalless against West Coast. Joe Danaher the same. Not that he features in our Crummers Coleman, of course, but most fill up against the Eagles. Charlie did not. Isaac Rankin third, 32 goals. Tom Papley was good last night, up to 30 majors for him. Luke Bruce, 28. Jack Higgins, 27. If you've got that winning taste right now, and why wouldn't you? Get yourself into schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels, made fresh and made just for you. Monique's got the headlines incoming. On the other side of that, we're going to talk to Andy Harper, all things Matildas in the upcoming World Cup. Well, the Matildas' final warm-up game for the upcoming FIFA World Cup takes place tonight at Marvel Stadium against France. And typically, like just about everything else in a tournament that sold more than a million tickets, tonight's friendly is a sellout. Defender Ellie Carpenter spoke of her excitement yesterday. Tomorrow's 50,000 and next Thursday's 83,000. So I guess the feeling of tomorrow, you're going to think, whoa, this is incredible. And then having in the back of your mind next week, it's going to be double this. So that just gives me goosebumps kind of talking about it. But I think it's going to be, like Tony said, preparation mentally for us. I don't think many of us have played in more than 50 or 60,000 people in front of. So it's going to be, yeah, just taking it all in, soaking it all in. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Whenever can I play in front of my home country, my family like this ever again? So just making the most of it. Andy Harper is our reference point for all things world football, and there is a ton of anticipation surrounding this history-making event. Andy, good to chat again, and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. 
Looks like we're going to see a new crowd record for the Matildas tonight. I think the, the old one at Accor Stadium up in Sydney 2021 was maybe somewhere in the 36,000 mark. I mean, it's going to be broken again in the not-too-distant future. But, gee whiz, the interest is well and truly there. It's uh, it's really bubbling along. I still have a feeling that we're underestimating um, the impact of this tournament, even this close. Um, particularly, well, dependent upon the Matildas' run, but if they get on a run which is eminently feasible, mm. then um, I, I think people are still going to be surprised at, at just how popular this thing is going to be. What are we to expect from tonight's meeting with France then? So w- would it be a high rotation, all about minutes played? Well, uh, Tony Gustafsson has been out trying to paint certain pictures over uh, over many months now about what he's trying to do with the team. Um and I think they'll go in tonight with a very specific purpose. I don't presume to know what that particular purpose is going to be on an individual basis, but I, I, I am confident that they've thought uh, deeply about which players uh, need what sort of activity within the context of the team dynamic. Um, but it's going to be a big test today, and, and their willingness to, to persevere with whatever plans they've got in the face of this test against France uh, is going to be very interesting because... Um, over the course of the journey, I think there have been other times when they've had plans um, that have maybe had to be tweaked in, in the face of a difficult opponent or a difficult set of circumstances to try and manage the other stories around the team. Um, this, is a, it, this is a very complex issue, running a national team of such stature mm. and such um, profile at the moment uh, into this domestic World Cup. And on the one hand, of course, they're looking to prepare because the big stuff starts next week, of course. But on the other hand, um, they've, been, they've worked really hard at trying to manage the expectations of the viewing public, and they'll be part of that tonight, I'm sure. But France, having at least to some degree cleaned up the mess in their own backyard, which was pretty toxic, uh, are really looming as a potential World Cup winner this far out. So it's going to be a great game of football. Yeah, you, Andy, you mentioned the word expectation there. So I'm really interested, and we see it all the time, um, to get your thoughts on what a World Cup does for the host nation. Because it's easy to assume it's a big boost, dominant crowd support, and it may well be that simple. But there's also those expectations and a real pressure to live up to those expectations, I would have thought, even when they can be a little bit unfair at times. How do you think our women are placed to, to cope with that? Well, it was interesting listening to, to Ellie Carpenter. I mean, a lot of the girls play in the big leagues of Europe and Ellie plays for the biggest women's team in the world at Lyon, but, but regularly playing in front of very, very big and very boisterous and very expectant crowds hasn't yet completely materialised across the board. And we saw the England run through the Euro, women's Euros last year, which was generating huge crowds. Um, um, the Matildas have had, you know, growing crowds in this last World Cup cycle, and that, that, that's a combination of the, of the growth of the of, of the profile of the team, but also the expectation of this World Cup. So there's been a lot of people jumping on that bandwagon, very welcome they are too, as well. But but the, the crowds have been big without being and and and, and real, historically very big by comparison, but nothing compared to fifty thousand. And as Ellie says, eighty three thousand. It's really. You know, the, the English players have had some big crowds with FA Cups, etc. And our Aussies who've played their Sam Kerr, etc. Steph Catley would have had a taste of that. And the girls out of Spain who play for Real Madrid and Barcelona, you know, in the last 18 months have played against crowds of this size. But mm. quite how, um, and you heard it in Ellie's voice, you know, the, the excitement of playing against that sort of fevered background is going to be a new experience. And once you're not expecting 
to be able to repeat once the World Cup rolls out of town anytime soon. So how they deal with that, of course, is going to be one of the key variables. I'm confident they can. But, of course, you never really know until you're there. Yeah, and so was Tony Gustafsson. But, of course, he's not going to say anything else at this stage, is he? And he, he used the word fuel that he thinks it'll really help his side. Who, Andy, for those who don't watch the Matildas or who haven't done in more recent times, can you let us in on their, their game plan, their high-energy plan? It's a it's a real in-your-face, high-press sort mm-hmm. of uh, philosophy, isn't yeah. it? It is, and they're at their best when they can execute that and enforce that. And we saw it in that remarkable win against Spain in Parramatta um, uh, last year, um, uh, albeit a weakened Spain, and, and they too, just as an aside, have, uh, have rebuilt considerably coming into this World Cup. Um, yeah. But what we saw was this, this this aggressive approach which just yielded the most amazing first half. What we've seen from the Matildas, including that brilliant goal from Courtney Vine, second half, we found it a little bit difficult to maintain that rage. And this is the pivot on which the Matilda's success will rotate. Quite how, how well they make the most of their periods of dominance, um, because it's not realistic to expect, I don't think in men's or women's football, this high-tempo, really aggressive approach for 90 minutes. It's really hard to do. And so um, if that's the Matilda's best approach, and I think it is, then two questions. What what can they actually material, materially gain in a football game when they've got that ascendancy? And then how long can they force that issue? And, and the World Cup is going to rise or fall on their ability to manage those two things. And Tony's squad, Andy, was seen to have been carrying a few risks. I mean, it, it looked like very much a squad projected to perform rather than performing when he named it, given the injured inclusions. How did, how did you assess the squad that he picked? Well, again, my first answer is, I have, to, I have no problem trusting the assessment of yeah. the staff that these players are going to be ready to contribute for whatever is their ordained role. So I'm comfortable with that. I am equally, however, um, feel that it, it, depending on, on the seriousness of these injuries, right, and, and you have to take this into, into that context, but for all the looking over the last three years, it seems to me that the answer is he still thinks the cupboard in women's football in Australia is relatively bare. Um, two players have been brought out of retirement to be part of this, mm. Ivy Lewick um, and Elise Kellen-Knight, who thankfully for television viewers will, will still be contributing through her commentary, but I uh, hope she didn't blow her Achilles. I'm imagining she'd been in the squad as well. Both have come out of long-term, um, well, Elise not so much retirement, but long-term injury in the latter stages of the career. Um, Ivy had actually retired and was taken to the Asian Cup the last Asian Cup, which we, which was a failure for us as a, as a mentor. And the next thing you know, she's playing and it's still playing. So then you put, um, which is not a criticism of Ivy by any means, but then the other injured players who've been picked as injured players, what it tells me is that he doesn't think outside of this squad there's enough robust competition uh, not to be able to try and carry these injured players through. Now, of mm. course, we don't know how injured or how ready they are to play. And I'll go back to my opening comment before anyone starts spruiking any mischief, I'm completely confident that the people who've made the decisions are confident that these fine players can contribute when they're asked to. 
Andy, we speak about this a bit, but I suppose the legacy for a World Cup, and, and one thing that we've never had is a, is a FIFA World Cup on home soil. So the legacy that it leaves for women's sport and I guess the aftershocks of a tournament of this magnitude. So we've got OFLW at the moment who, who still haven't announced their season fixture. They're, they're debating how long that's going to be. Obviously, yeah. cricket's come on a, a fair way, women's basketball, netball, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But is there a chance that after this month or so that every young girl growing up watching it is going to want to be a Matilda? No, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No, don't don't leave it to you know the, the the young girls. What about? I think the young boys will be inspired about it. My teenage son can't wait to watch it, and, yeah. and he admires what what the girls are doing. So, I, it is going to have that massive sugar hit. There's no question in my mind about that. Um, and the ongoing success of the individuals. You know, you're talking the Ellie Carpenters and the Sam Kerrs. You know, the, the, their public profile is not going to diminish over the coming years that's going to keep firing this whole fascination with playing the world's biggest game and young Australians trying to compete at that level will drive the participation numbers there's no question the big worry um, is the ability of Australia and the willingness of Australia to cope with that growth so that's mm. where I'm very nervous because we've never shown any real appetite to help football um, service the people and this comes to, to centrally to government funding um, there has been no historic willingness um, over a sustained period for our elected authorities to realise the importance of this and to make sure that the increase in participation actually is met with a, with a commensurately with facilities that can cope with these kids. And that's where I'm really worried about this. The circus or the, the big top will, will pack up and roll out of town in about five or six weeks' time. And the big question is for what's left behind and the decision makers in Australia, mm. how actually do you want to service this interest? And that's where I'm very nervous because historically they've shown very little interest in that. Andy, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I look at Sam Kerr and I think she's probably a bigger name overseas than she's here. It's just my assessment of it because mm. she's a global star though. So mm. what can be done in that space in the next few weeks with Sam Kerr? I mean, if she gets on a run and, and, and um, delivers like we think she can, then she's going to become an absolute household name in every, um, every, every house yeah. that follows sport across the country. Yeah, I think that's the that's the space that remains for Sam. But I think, given the trajectory, I think she's as identifiable and as big in Australia as she possibly could be. Um, but this again is a reflection of Australians of our institutional disassociation, habitual and and intentional disassociation with what the rest of the world is doing. We, we as an island population. Uh, very happy with our island and isolationist mentality on these things. So there's a lot of Australians who know how big Sam Kerr is. Um, there's a lot of Australians who don't because they're not fed the story of her success. And and it, it comes on the back of a sport that is, is still regarded, unfortunately, with suspicion um, by too many powerful people in this country. Now, over the, last, over the next five or six weeks, um, those fears, if the Matildas get on a run, mm. those fears of those people are going to be staring them deeply in the face and they'll know exactly the thing of which they're scared and of which they're frightened. Um, their hope, and, and they could well succeed in this, is that, as I said, when the circus rolls out of town, Australia can get back to normal business and these people can remain unscared of football because they'll control uh, the messages and the funding uh, avenues to make sure that this game doesn't actually get the kick it needs. That, that's my fear with this. And, and Sam Kerr's profile 
um, if it can be damaged, um, well, not damaged, but won't be as fulfilled as it might be because mm. of those machinations. But people in sport and people in football will know exactly how good this young Australian is um, and how powerful she is on the world stage. Well, I can't wait to see her in action and the rest of them as well, Andy. It's going to be a fascinating few weeks and a fascinating few months as well, off the pitch, on the pitch. It's going to be really interesting to observe from afar. Um, Enjoy it tonight. I know you'll be behind the microphone, of course, for 10 Bold, 10 Play, Paramount Plus. They have the Combank Matildas, the send-off match tonight, hosting France from 6.30 Eastern time. Andy, appreciate your time as always. Oh, my pleasure, love. Because from my point of view, the World Cup starts tonight and then I'm just going to be a very, very keen observer and wishing the girls all the very best. It's going to be a fantastic month. Thanks, mate. We'll speak again soon. Good on you. Say bye. Andy Harper there talking all things Matildas and the World Cup. France, 6.30 tonight, Marvel Stadium. 10 bold, 10 play, Paramount Plus. Melbourne's weather today, wind easing later, partly cloudy, top of 15 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Well, stage 12's rolling terrain at the Tour de France last night provided perhaps the last opportunity to get in a breakaway with a chance of survival and... The appetite to be involved in it created all manner of chaos in what some are saying was a day unlike any other in the race's long history. Olympic gold medalist Scott McGrory is our man when it comes to the world's biggest bike race. Scotty, I'm not even sure where to start with last night. No change to the GC, currently led by Jonas Vinegard. And Yoni Zagira won the, won the day, but that doesn't even begin to tell the story. Welcome to you. Hey, g'day, Sam. It's interesting, isn't it? We talk about how incredible the stage was, yet in the overall classification, nothing really changed. <laughs> yet throughout the day, there were so many things that could have gone wrong for several riders, particularly those a little bit further down in the top 10. Simon Yates from the, you know, the Jake Oalula Australian registered team, he was out the back by a couple of minutes. Luckily, those groups came back together again before the finish. But honestly, it was just chaos all the way through to the end. And then when the dust settled, Nothing had changed. I, I couldn't. Ah. I couldn't believe what I was watching though. So it was a 168 kilometre day, five categorised climbs. Now everyone knew it was going to be crazy. The sprinters were out the back straight away. Some of the climbers you mentioned, like Yates and Kuss and Lander, were dropped. And it took what 80 k's to 90 k's of full gas racing for a break to finally stick. <laughs> it's incredible. What this all does mean, though, right? So if you want to predict the future and we think about all these intermediate what they used to call transition stages so not the big mountain stages but not the pure flat ones for the sprinters these ones for the opportunists and that's what we saw with Sion Izagira last night getting in the breakaway eventually once it formed because it took so long and so many attacks before it finally cracked and went so that's the opportunist kind of day now Normally, the sprinters and everybody else get a bit of an easier ride on these particular days, knowing that they're not there for the sprint at the end. They don't have to worry about going up the biggest of the mountains, but that simply wasn't the case. Now, that's happened on each of the so-called transitional stages Mm. between the sprints and the mountains. So what this is now leading us towards is the final week of the tour, knowing that the next couple of days are big mountain stages. So they'll be brutal right on their own. Then we get into the final week, a few more mountain stages, the time trial to come next week as well. So there is the possibility with how hard the race has been this year, and let's not understate it at all, because right from the go in Bilbao, in the Basque country in the north of Spain, it was a much more difficult type of terrain that these guys are used to 
uh, to start a three-week grand tour like the Tour de France. So it has been probably the most difficult Tour de France we've seen in recent memory. And that lends us to think there could be some major issues for some of the big contenders as we get deeper into this race. So I expect someone in the top three, top five, top ten to have an absolute shocker day or a couple and plummet down the overall standings. So I'm fingers crossed that our man Jai Hindley, <laughs> sitting in third place at the moment, can be Mr. Consistent. All he has to do now is just be consistent because some of the other people around him may just fall by the wayside. Now, he spoke after the stage last night and he said, cycling isn't so traditional anymore. Let's say there's a pretty modern way of racing now, which is expect the unexpected. you just got to roll with the punches. He said, the yellow jersey's putting in attacks with over 100 kilometres to go. So there's that in the background as well. But just getting into the specifics of it, Scotty, can you just educate those of us who perhaps don't follow the sport super closely when a breakaway doesn't stick early, what does that mean for the for the rest of, of the peloton? What what makes it so fierce when the break doesn't go early? Because is it just a simple matter of every single person wants to be a part of it, so everything is chased back? Yeah, absolutely. So what typically happens if a breakaway does form early, if it's got the right riders, so depending on how far into the race it is, and now we're just over halfway, so a lot of the riders are 30, 40, one minute, uh, one hour, hour and a half behind in the overall classification. So if they go into a breakaway group, they're no threat to the yellow jerseys. They could win by 20 minutes. It won't change anything in the overall classification. So the stress to the leader, to the second, third, fourth in the overall classification, that gets taken away. So they're happy to see a breakaway form. But then there's the pressure from all the teams that haven't had a result just yet or the riders that are just ambitious and want to get a result for themselves. So if a team has missed the breakaway, then their directors are in their ears in their race radio screaming at their teammates to get out there and start chasing mm. and trying to bring that group back. Now, that's what we saw last night. It was just a plethora of attacks until it finally cracked. While that's happening... The race is under full pressure, full speed, and riders like Caleb Ewan are getting dropped you know, and losing uh, over 30 minutes by the end of the day, and they're putting in a really tough ride. They want the break to get established so the Peloton just slows down, becomes yeah. a little bit more neutralised, then everybody can get back in and they can have an easier ride. And that's what we haven't been seeing at this year's Tour de France. There were a couple of stages on the flat that were pure sprint stages where that did happen, and it was almost a day off for some of the guys sitting back in the Peloton. But certainly last night, that wasn't the case. And now they have to back it all up, back going up into the mountains yeah. uh, from tomorrow for the next couple of days. Hey, uh, obviously, Scotty, it'd be horrible in the saddle, but it's great from the living room couch in the wee hours. It's great. It's great for the viewer. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, and <laughs> at one stage, there was a helicopter shot with, you know, 100 k's to go. And the Peloton had 12, what was left of it, had about 12 guys in it. So before they sat up, it was absolutely relentless. And you mentioned what's to come. This is the crazy thing about it. A hat trick of massively demanding mountain stages coming up. So tonight, a summit finish atop Grand Colombier. Stage 14 has the Col de Joux plane on a huge climbing day. And then stage 15 heads out to Mont Blanc. So they'll be on their knees after this stretch. Yeah, just a nice little cruise out to Mont Blanc. <laughs> Lovely scenery. <but laughs> not not the actual summit itself. It's 4,800 metres, but near enough. The um, Tonight will be really interesting because it is a big climb right at the end of the stage. And as we've been saying, off the back of all these really difficult days, so there will be riders, even riders up in the top 10, that will be dreading what's to come. Now, the climbs are what they are normally all about, but you only have to be half a percent, 1% off your best form because you've been doing it a little bit too tough these last couple of days. And boof, there's another two, three, four minutes that you'll lose going up that big climb today. So it's a real test for the guys racing for the overall classification tonight 
to come back through all these really difficult days and then finally have another big, long mountain uh, top finish at the end of tonight's day. So I think there'll be changes in the overall classification. And if Jonas Fingergo and uh, today Pogaccia are anything to go, for, go, go by from the last week and a half, mm. they will be attacking each other, trying to crack each other as well, which will just put everybody else under pressure. With the two best climbers, when they start attacking, then that makes you know, Jai Hindley and everybody else that are not quite as good as them uphill really have to bite the bullet. No doubt. Only 17 seconds separate first from second. And then there's Jai Hindley, as you say, hanging on to that podium spot at the moment. He's got about a minute 42 second gap on Carlos uh, Rodriguez of Ineos, the Spaniard there. So we, we hope for Jai and we hope that he uh, survives another test tonight. Scotty, great to have you on, mate. Really appreciate you fitting us in this morning. Yeah, and look, just just to, to reiterate that, like Jai is in third place, and okay, yeah, everybody would like him to win. He mm. would like to win, but in the 110 years of the Tour de France, we've only had one Australian win it. We've only had two Australians on the podium. So for Jai to be sitting in third place now, it is an exceptional effort. And who knows, you know, if one of those the big two does crack as we get into the third week, he hopefully will be there ready to pounce. Yeah, no, no, no disgrace in the podium whatsoever. That would be amazing, Scotty. Good on you, mate. Uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Sam. Scott McGrory joining us there. We need to get the latest news headlines. And I've got a text here from Braden. When is Miles on? There's been a sighting. He's in the building and he's not too far away. Monique, thank you. That is going to be a big one, isn't it, at the G? Uh, there's consequences everywhere right throughout the round, but this one sits atop most of them. It's Melbourne, it's Brisbane, it's 4th v 3rd. It's at the G tonight, 7.50. The bounce, of course, covered right here on AFL Nation. Uh, Miles Fitzner not too far away. A little sprinkling of magic from the magic man coming up. This text from Matt dropped, the opening weekend of the World Cup next week has to go up against the Ashes, the Open, Dan Ricciardo returning to the Formula One, not to mention some big AFL matches. I'm going to throw the Tour de France in there as well, Matt. But bring it on. Hey, sporting smorgasbord. That's what it's all about. You can't find negative in that. Only positives. Uh, a lot of texts. Keep them coming through. 0433981116. Temper. They're a mattress like no other. Get your unique bed match profile. Find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, as we know, they're serious about sleep. And one three hundred seven three six seven three six out of the other side of Miles. There might be a small window if you want to give us a quick buzz before Dwayne Russell jumps on for Midday Madness. This is the captain's run. It's for state transport. Our people are your solution. Our final order of business on the McCafe menu. Arguably, we've saved the best till last. If you're looking to find a winner over the weekend, I just happen to know a bloke. And he's up next. The people have been calling for some magic off the text. I tell you what, you ask, you shall receive. The Magic Man joins us for tyre power, tipping winners on tyre safety all season. Miles Fitzner, welcome. Hello, Sammy. And Hello. I need to say a big thank you quickly. What for? I know you're going to thank the listeners, and sorry to cut you off. That's all right. You've come in, especially for us here on the Captain's Run today. Of course. And I salute you. Of course. And I thank you. Of course. So good to have you. It was you. a late finish last night. <laughs> you look a bit dusty. And so I was a bit dusty. We had the Any Given Thursday, which is the uh, overnight racing, which I got called up. In fact, can I say this? You look shocking. Yeah. <laughs> look, I feel it. You look shocking. Yeah. Um, we finished up at <laughs> two, smell good, though. 2 o'clock. They always smell good. you got to smell good. Smell good, but you look terrible. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, yeah, it's a nice little 2 or 3 o'clock finish last night. It's good. <sighs> Gee whiz. Um, European racing. It's fantastic. Good yeah. for 
Yeah, I tried to do the form, couldn't find a winner anyway. So well, close. Well, that's about the only place you're not finding a winner at the moment. Rory Flanagan was excellent, if you haven't tuned in. Okay. Any, um, but, uh, yeah, no, look, last week the best bets were, I mean, Jack's on ice, a lot of good men. We gave a good push for a lot of good men in the West. Uh, John Monash? Oh, Sai. How good, Sai. Uh, hey, don't sell yourself short. This is a horse that you need to, it's still not trying, and it just continues to win. And I, I tried to tell everyone on SEN track, when you watch the mm. horse, doesn't pin the ears back. Um, you slayed them in Sydney? And towards the end of the day, yeah. If, if the listeners are giddy up, we had Miss Jay Fox at $15. So I think we went five of the last six in Sydney. So um, it was it was a, a pretty solid enough day. It was. I love it. I love it. Uh, keep your texts coming through if you want me to fire something at Milo. I feel like just a couple of without notice would be good fun today. Oh, yeah. 0433981116 off the 40 Wings temper. So the feature tomorrow as we look forward, Flemington Cup. 2,800 metres. Do you like one here? Uh, look, I'm going to just say... Are you going to pump the brakes? I'm going to pump the brakes on the whole day tomorrow. <laughs> I've done Eagle Farm, <laughs> Ramwick, Way Morvedville to pump Parks. it up. Morvedville Parks, everyone knows. Belmont, you're going to be rain affected. Ramwick is just horrible fields. Eagle Farm, it's post-carnival terrible. And Flemington, I mean, most of these races here, barring a few, are going to be close enough to $5 a field. Minefield tomorrow. Um, tomorrow. Minefield. Minefield. So, Flemington Cup... I know there's a few that like Mimi's Award and a few with Mostly Cloudy. I'm going to go with a horse that actually – most of my selections are going to be $4 plus, $5 plus tomorrow, so at value day. Um, LaBelle, this horse won a maiden hurdle last start at Warrnambool. I don't know what the margin was officially, but it could have been 30 lengths. Um, and admittedly, it was a maiden hurdle. But horses like that, when you get them up over 2,800 metres, they can come back over the flat and really like it. So – I'm going to take a bit of a risk. LaBelle for me, uh, number six in the uh, Dean Lester now named Flemington Cup. I'm going to pause you right there for one second. We've got our first question without notice. Here we go. Sammy, can you ask Milo for some tips today? Going to the pub, I need a couple of winners. Uh, I'll get to that by the end of the... <laughs> Very I'll, unfair. I'll get to that to the end. Yeah, so uh, double one four, double one four, sit tight. Hey, uh, Perth have got the Belmont Classic listed race for the three-year-olds. Are you keen on one over there? Uh, we'll start with the Belmont Classic. It's really interesting races. It's probably the only other feature in Australia for the whole day. Uh, over the 2200, it's closing in is your favourite, William Pike, Adam Durant. Pikey sticks. Now, the one you've got to watch is Secret Attraction for Mickey Poy and Adam Durant. Down on the minimum... Cerise and White for um, Bob Peters. You, you can take those two in a same race multi or back both of them to win the same amount. So you back. It's closing in uh, a fair bit harder. Uh, and then you take the $6 secret attraction. I've got It's closing in just in front, um, but I'm going to be boxing them up exact as Quinella's same race multis and backing both to win the same amount over there. I'll give you my best while we're over there. We'll go mm. back to race six, number one, start. This horse just continues to win. Um, it's one five on the trot. Race so four six, on the trot. Race six, number one. Vast art. Yeah, it's one four on the trot. I think it'll do it again. This is the shortest one I have anywhere uh, for the whole day. Two dollars twenty five over there. Clint Johnson Porter for the McAuliffe team. I think should be winning there in the West. Is there a best at Ramwick? Uh, there is a best at Ramwick tomorrow. Race eight, number three, Stonecoat. Uh, around about the four dollar four dollar fifty mark. Gay Waterhouse. Adam Hieronymus back from suspension. He's been riding okay since he had that three years off. Um, nice win last start. Really enjoyed it over the seventy-eight, uh, over the benchmark seventy-eight, over the fourteen hundred meters. This is the same race, just goes up a few kilos. There's nothing much in here to beat it. Four dollars fifty. That'll be the best at Randwick. Got any love for anything happening at Eagle Farm? Uh, Eagle Farm race eight, number one. Something I've lost many, many times. Manhood um, is what I'm going to go with. Uh, <laughs> you can't race... Say that. Oh, can, can I? 
No, oh, I've, no, lost, no. I've lost my manhood. Oh. I've done it plenty of times. All right. Uh, right. <laughs> Rare oh, week. Race eight. Why are you blushing? Race eight, number one, manhood, $4.20. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a pretty weak race. It's benchmark 85. Oh. Just forget the last start run. The run before that, though, it was only 0.9 off Antino, one of the best horses to come out of the Queensland winter. Mm-hmm. So race eight, number one, manhood at $4.20. Okay, I got another question of that notice for you. I know you still got to find a best for uh, four one uh, double I, one four today. Can I just do you want me to sound out them just to finish? Flemington race seven, Zach DeBoss and Skywolf's a Tommy two play. Um, at, they're both about eight or nine dollars, and then race nine number nine, no way ever. Again, another one about seven eight dollars. I think I'll play, um, and and that'll be it just for Flemington. So okay. Zach DeBoss, Skywolf, and no way ever to round out the few at Flem. All right, all right. Before we come back to double one four, looking for a winner at the uh, the local today, uh, Corey in Adelaide. Uh, any danger of pulling the boots back on for the Pembroke Kings again during the the poor racing weeks, Milo? <laughs> yeah, I um, I hadn't played a football for some time, but being a Pembroke old scholar, um, the boys when they got short, I used to go back and and fill in for them. I think. Um, what sort of player were you? Uh, I was a forward. Yeah, I was sort of a nippy half forward, nippy forward pocket. Yeah. Little sneak. Yeah. Well, I, when you I played, like, are you sort of an out the back specialist? No. Nah, well, actually, up? when I played more seriously, um, that that I was a tagger. I was a run with. Yeah. So I'd just run. I'd get my head kicked in every week. Like a Kane Corn impersonator. Yeah. I oh, know more like a Ryan Crowley impersonator. Oh, pinchy. Oh, oh, pinchy punchy. First day of the monthy. Really. Real dirty yeah. stuff. Yep. I, just, I can show you half the scars on my face from. You, re- you, you, you were the. I was good on the lip and I could run. So that's why it was. I Sound found like their, a really pleasant guy to play on. I found their best and I copped a few guys coming back from first year out of AFL a few years. It taught me a few lessons. Tommy Logan was one of them mm. all week. Uh, was he him? tough? Uh, yeah, only once. <laughs> <laughs> you, let's uh, put the footy boots away because you're calling the footy tomorrow. You've got a good game here. Blues power. Blues power. Big changes at Port Adelaide. They're sore. Um, Seven. I, yep. Look, I think they've named Lysett. They're not going to play him. Um, it'll be Lord V, um, whoever else at Carlton. Um, I think Tommy I'm, Jonas is back too. So obviously McKenzie not being there. That's a, that's a lot for Aaliyah Lear to potentially handle down there. Yeah, and especially on a tighter ground like that where Aaliyah Lear doesn't get the room that he'd normally get. Um, it's sort of You can have closing speed in on your, on your sort of loose defender, but um, it should be a ripper. A ripper. I'm... I think Jared's got the Vic one, and then I've got the uh, back into SA call with Joe Watton and Scotty Lucas. What a great man, Scotty Lucas. He is a good man. Isn't he the nicest guy? You're in good hands with Scotty Lucas. Could play a bit, by the way. Oh. And, and excellent behind the microphone. Hey, so you had a late night last night. I do feel for you. You've come in to help us out today on the captain's run, which, I, which I'm enormously thankful for. But we have we got our mail right here? You, we were having a bath in lawn yesterday when you were called back to work, which <laughs> of the candles and the, and yeah, the, and the incense... I've come in. So I've got the scent candles going. I just that goes away in this studio, by the way, too. I um, I, rubber ducky. I, I, had sort of a, out, I had two days off in a row, so I went. I'm just going to duck down to lawn, and I went to the. I thought I might bump into BT, the Lawn Anglers Club. I thought oh, I just might duck in there, and I, I booked a spot at um, I think it's Toddy's, a new Italian restaurant, at the bottom of the pub, and uh, I, yeah, I just uh, I might have run a bath, and uh, I got the phone call. Get back. Here, we've got late night racing, and I jumped at the opportunity. I said, give it to me. Absolutely give it to me, because, like, in the words of, who was it, Ross Lyon, or who was the coach that said, next man up, next soldier in? Oh, they all do. Clark who was o, that? Clark, Clark was probably o, the It's pun. next soldier in here at yep. SEN, and Track. I am Sellies. Fill all holes. Yes. But is it 
is it right that you just drop the bath bomb in though? Because no, I know you're no, a bath bomb. There's no bath bomb. You there's like no a bath bomb? Candles or bath bomb? You had a package from Victoria's Secret. You drop the bath. Just drop the bath bomb. I've had in. three hours sleep, Ross. I will wring your neck. I'll wring your neck. <laughs> Off the text from Michael Miles used to get leather poisoning in footy. So you, again, you're just ever humble. Uh, and this question without notice: Can you ask Miles who's better on the punt between Taggart and Jenkins on SEN track? That's from Tommy down in Geelong. Ah, uh, Taggart. Well, Tag- when you tip the card, you can't. Taggart, com- like Taggart, still dining out on that, by the way. JJ is he'd be dining out on it for a long, long time. I bumped into Taggart yesterday, and I, he didn't doesn't say hello anymore. He just says tip the card. Um, David is is his form and levels of form are second to none. He he's, he sees them as well as any, and the reason why I like. What he does so much too is he's not just form based. He is really a big replay guy. Where a lot of people these days, a lot of form analysts, they're data based. And I'm old school like tags. You look at the horse and then you try and find the form to match what you're thinking of of the appearance of a performance. So um, he's a jet. No, no, knock to JJ. He's JJ's a star, especially on the harness. Does a great job, JJ. Now, no stress if you can't, but I did promise double one four. Did you Did you have anything for today? Or yes, got so, that notice? so Geelong Race 8, the best there will be Geelong Race 8, number 11, Red Columbine. Like it. At Geelong, Red Columbine. And if you want one at a little bit of value, you can go to race number, I think it's race number five or six. Where is it? I've lost it here. Um, well, when you do get back, just while you're looking for that, um, Steve's dropped us a text that's going to help you. When you get back to your now cold bath down in Lawn, uh, he's saying make sure you get to the noodle shop down there, the best pad thai going around. So you can um, just heat up the bath, get around to the pad thai, and then you'll be laughing. Get your bath bomb in and you're back in business. The one that I did enjoy was stopped at Oaks Bakery down there at um, at Anglesey, and I walked in. And the bloke must have been a bit of an SE and track fan. And he just said, mate, you can have a Coke and a sausage roll on me. And it was one of the great sausage rolls I think I've ever had down there at the Oaks Bakery. So it was free. At Anglesey. Yeah, I've never taken any. I said, no, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. And he pushed me out the door. No word of a lie. I wonder if that's actually how it played out. It's or, actually, or you said, mate, do you I, know who I am? The one thing that everyone can, no one will ever knock in this building. I've, I'm not tight. I, I shout coffees. Round after round after round. So and one you know thing what? I pride myself on. You know when you've made it. You know when you've really made it, when oh, you get free snag rolls. Mate, so, Oaks Bakery. It was unbelievable. Chapeau to you. Hey, Thai Power, make your visits here possible. They love keeping you safe on the road. The winter safety sale is now on. The value may be race four, number 10, only love each way. Love it. Geelong. Uh, you win some, you lose more. Free and confidential support resides at gamblinghelponline.org.au. Milo. Thanks all for coming in, mate. Yeah, no, I always appreciate coming in. Bath bombs and unbelievable. Did I mention how fresh you look? You look magnificent. (laughs) There is some breaking news out of the GWS Giants. Their star midfielder, Tom Green, won't play this weekend. The coach, Adam Kingsley, has revealed at his press conference this morning he's got a hamstring injury, has uh, Tom Green. He will not play against the Adelaide Crows. And in terms of outs, that is a seismic one for GWS. That will hurt and not the sort of news you want to see, to be honest. Uh, if you missed any of our chats today, they are up on the podcast page. Nick Del Sano, Nova Paris, great story, that one. Her son, Jack Paris, about to debut for the St Kilda Football Club this weekend. Andy Harper, speaking of uh, big events, the Matildas tonight against France and then next week open up their FIFA World Cup campaign. 
Um, and we had Scotty McGorry join us as well. Chris Stubbs from Wimbledon, and then a sprinkling of magic at the end with Miles Fitzner, sen.com.au. And the podcast page is where you find them. Buddy Bet users, you can follow the SEN Captain's Run account as well. Comment or like on the jackpot group for tonight's game. She's a big one. Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions from the G. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You want to grab a line right now, though. 1-300-736-736. Midday madness just minutes away. And to steer the ship is Dwayne Russell. G'day, Pipe. Sammy, yes, uh, the lines are open. I know you took a lot of calls as well. A few Bulldog fans. It was interesting to hear Kane Corns' mm. take on his thoughts that uh, Luke's time at the Dogs should be up at the end of the year, which we'll replay at some stage. I'm not with him on that, but uh, they they do lack some something. I, the, the Bulldogs, to me, if you were going to pick a centre square three to get a clearance for your life, I'd probably pick, I'd be happy to have English, Liberatore and Bonampelli in there, but I wouldn't want that forward line to have to actually kick a score for my life or that defence yeah. to actually stop a goal uh, for my life. So they've got a few flaws, the dogs, but I did say yesterday that they were number one on my pressure meter yesterday. They were the team that was most vulnerable to fall out of the eight. They might be out of the eight now by the end of the round. If the Adelaide Crows win at home and if Geelong win at home, then they will be outside the eight, the dogs. So they are the most vulnerable oh. team. So plenty to get to. Jeez, it'd be inconceivable for them to miss finals for me. And I know we had a few texts sort of countering that this morning, Dwayne, but I just cannot have them missing the eight. I mean, they think there that they've got a list good enough to contend for the flag, let alone mm. miss the eight. So that would be that would be a massive fail if it was to ensue that way. Yeah, although the Cats think they've got a list to contend for the finals, given that they won the flag last year. Richmond still think they've got a a squad that can contend to win the flag. Carlton still think they've got a squad that can contend for the flag. There's a few teams outside the eight mm. that are believers. The Sydney Swans are even believers this morning. They got to the grand final <laughs> last year. So why wouldn't you be a believer if you're the Sydney Swans? So plenty to get to. And Todd Viney's going to join us. So we'll find out from Todd Viney in about an hour from now whether Alistair Clarkson will or won't be coaching in the St Kilda game the week after this week's Hawthorne game. And my inkling is that he will not be coaching in that St Kilda game. He won't be back by then, Clarko. Might be back a couple of weeks after that. A lot on Dwayne's plate. Good on your pipe, but as always, your calls take the priority. one 736 736 or a bit of midday men.